Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. All right, everyone, here we are. Very, very excited to be here to share this episode with you. A very special uh, thing. We've never done it before. We're collaborating with our friend, Mae Globus. Hello, everyone. From The Craft Podcast. So this is a little bit of a collaborative episode between The Craft and A Little More Good. A Little More Craft. A Little More Craft. <laughs> bring your scissors. That's bring your right. glue sticks. That's right. Bring your glitter. We're crafting. All of it. <laughs> and we are, we are here at the table in this unique format of collaboration we trapped a good friend of ours we trapped we trapped the, yeah the two one birds one stone That's hello right. jeff hamada hello everyone jeff hamada is here we're talking all things creativity art jeff drops his favorite shows <laughs> <laughs> where jeff grew up ai <laughs> aliens that's right all sorts of stuff. This episode really runs the gamut, but we're just so grateful, Jeff, for you to, to come out here and, and share with us uh, your time and the talents that you are, cre- creator and curator of Boom.com with seven O's. Don't mistake Chill it. Chill Wildlife. Chill Wildlife. <laughs> Can't forget that one. <laughs> That's right. Ableist Clothing Company. <laughs> <laughs> Throwback. Thanks. What? Thanks for shutting out that. I, we didn't even get a George Costanza. I meant to ask you about that. Like why next podcast? Mm. Next podcast. Yeah, but we're really, really excited to be able to um, share this episode and yeah, just just allow uh, both listeners from both of our platforms to get to know you better as a as a creative, as a person, and as someone who honestly, like, uh, as long as I've known you, um, we've had so much fun. But I've always drawn inspiration from from who you are and the things you do and the way you live your life. And I really think that as people listen to this episode and they get to, they get a glimpse into you as just a creative person, um, there's loads of inspiration there. So if you're someone who's like wanting to figure out purpose, calling, vision, how do you live aligned to who you are, this episode is for you. Brought to you by the one and only Jeff Amata. It's a lot of pressure. I don't know if what I said lives <laughs> up to all that, but hopefully you enjoy it. All right. I think so. I mean, I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed being with you guys. So, likewise, ditto. Loved it. Ditto. You too. All, All right. right, Jeff Hamada, guys, in the flesh. Let's let it roll. What I was gonna say is, uh, 
Levi, who is my partner on Boom, actually Dean's brother-in-law, we love 10,000. Levi's actually the one that taught me. We're talking about this game where you have six dice, and a lot of people have their own house rules for it, but we actually wanted to make a set of Boom dice and then have like a 10,000 tournament. Uh, So we've never done it, but uh, we play that game all the time. It's so fun. I think that's recording, so now you have to do it. It's yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, that it's was in the world now. I'm really interested in like puzzles and games, and uh, I wanted to do like artworks as jigsaw puzzles, but then also have like other games because you're talking about how we used to have this game night, and I like anything that like brings together people at like, community events. So I'd love to. That was sort of one of our ideas was to have like ten thousand or these different little games that you could buy but then we could host like nights where you'd actually come and play with everyone imagine like a march madness bracket of ten thousand. yeah i mean i think like because each game could have a bunch of people and then like the winner of each game could play each other and uh people would have to just come out and experience it it's pretty wild because there's luck in ten thousand, but there's also like guts and strategy like yeah and you have to cheer for everyone else's downfall that's one of the rules you can't play unless you're cheering for everyone to lose it all so yeah i have never played this game before oh my goodness we should play like you you roll this dice and you're trying to get to ten thousand. if you roll like all six ones you instantly get it i've never seen it i've seen people roll five of one number i i won't go into the whole thing but yeah but then we the way we play you have to hit it exactly. So as you get closer and closer, it gets harder to roll out and you keep getting reset. So, but people have different house rules for how you end the game. Some people play, you can just get over 10,000 yeah. to win, mm. but it's more dramatic and lets people catch up if you can't roll exactly 10,000 to get out at the end. Uh, we'll just have to play. Okay, yeah, yeah. I just so have you, to watch you guys play. So you, so fun. Do you go for Gloria or do you play conservatively? Or you have it, to go, there's no, you can't play conservative. You get like, you get like shunned if you play conservative. Yeah, you have to These, like go for it. All. I swear, whenever I play with a conservative mindset, I win though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I don't know. But it's less like fun. Two hundred <laughs> yeah. stay. Yeah, I think stay. I think we respect the people that go to zero more than the people that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. That's the true heart of the game. Oh uh, yeah, four fifty chump change. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> <Yeah>. taking that. <laughs> One dice. Let me roll. And the best is like you can build. You can build. So like, let's say Jeff rolls and he gets like two thousand and he has one dice left to roll then he can either choose to roll it and try to like build on it or he can like pass you one dice and it's up to you to decide okay am i gonna roll one dice and try to build on 2000 or take all five and start again so it gets like high stakes and people will be like pressuring you to roll the one dice if you score on that you get to pick up all the dice and keep rolling and your number is getting bigger but you're always risking everything right and i think like yeah if you if you chose not to build on a huge number everyone would just get so mad yeah I'm that guy. You're yeah, and I can guy. tell based on yeah, what Zach yeah, said, yeah. he's the guy that would never build on what this led up to and then always start at zero. I just wait for the guy behind me to get to like 4,000 and, and pass it to me. And then, <laughs> then yeah. that's my like one shot for going the distance. Yeah. I don't know if you're invited to play if you play. Okay, say. I'll go for glory when we play. <laughs> gotta go for glory. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have to, it yeah, sounds yeah. like. Yeah. I'll go 10,000 first round. The, the champ okay. of okay. losing all. So 10,000, maybe we have like, maybe a little more good puts in a team. Yeah, we could be team. Yeah, we okay. we got to think this through, yeah. Okay. We played at, Boom actually played in a foosball tournament uh, with like uh, Raining Champ and Adidas and all these. And I was like, oh, it was pretty cool. They made shirts for it. And so I thought it'd be fun if we, you know, to do other games like that. It was mm-hmm. pretty cool. Well, and Juice Truck and Boom have a history of like, collaborations you guys did like a fun kind of like puzzle we did games night yeah games night it was awesome yeah we did 
brain on juice yep. to help your brain function, and then people could drink the juice and then try brain teasers and win prizes and. That yeah. was super fun. That's it was really fun. fun. It was really good. This was like OG days of juice track. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say it was not as nerdy as it sounded, but it was it was kind of nerdy, but also a fun party. Yes. So people were great. like drinking and stuff, but then also doing these random puzzles and. Uh, the games were good. People were very committed. Yeah, and then we had the we had some of the Herschel bags as prizes then, so yep. that was like pretty big. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We but, should do another. Oh, people would be down for this for sure. Yeah. Okay, maybe yeah. we'll do another one. Bring it back. Round two. But I feel like as long as I've known you, Jeff, like you've been someone who brings people together for like a good time, but beyond just like maybe the conventional of like, hey, like let's have a party. There's always an element of like some sort of creativity, like let's do this puzzle. You've always been a guy like sharing a puzzle or like having a riddle and getting people to like gather around and you kind of have this like ability to draw people together to do something that they wouldn't normally do like a brain teaser or this game thing and it is like it's like even just how you said it sounds like it sounded kind of nerdy but it was really fun like that's the thing like most people be like oh i don't know board games but you turn up to like a board game night or ten thousand or whatever it is and it is just like it's always one of the best one of the best times ever so i think that's just like a strength that you've always had for as long as I've known you. I think it's just like how my brain works. If we're waiting to sit at a restaurant, like I just like, I want to find, figure out a way to like pass the time and yeah. I'll turn things into a game. I think <laughs> you'll either love it or hate it. Actually, like, um, I think a lot of my friends have just turned into like, I've made their brains more like my brain. So yeah. then they, they, they like it, but um <laughs> I don't know. I, I like like I I think it's like it's the world's really boring if things aren't like turned into games for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just I don't even think about it like, oh I'm gonna try to turn this into a game. I might literally just pick up like a pine gun and try to throw it at like a tree and then someone will just do it too and then I'll then then I'll be like, well, let's, you know, call, you have to bounce it off this bench and then hit the tree and then we'll make up just rules yeah. as we go. And a lot of the games that we'd play, like when we go camping and stuff are just based on like, we made them up before and actually it worked out as a game. So sometimes we take like uh, driftwood and then play golf, like around the beach with it. So you just try and like throw it to something and pretty much treat like a log, like the hole. And it's very easy for me to like make up. And I didn't just like make that up, but like a group of us, if you come together and you're like, all trying to like add rules to it i think by committee you make something that's fun yeah and i've always enjoyed that sort of thing more than like the way that you're supposed to play something or uh like when i was a kid and i would get lego or transformers or whatever my parents said that i always like played with the box and different things like just as much as the toys Mm. or uh we had this like marble madness um game where you literally just like get pieces to add to like a bigger and bigger set that you could like drop a marble down and it would go through all these things. But we would use the box and like cut out holes and like tape them together around the house. And, uh, so I, yeah, I guess maybe I credit my parents with making my mind like that. Like mm-hmm. I used to like invite friends over f- to hang out, but I would have like everybody like, draw. And I think it wasn't only till I was older that I realized that it was like not what everybody did. Like I would, invite people over and like literally just like people would just draw at my house for like the entire afternoon or like my my birthday parties my parents would help like make this huge like obstacle course in our house and there would be like prizes and um 
yeah so i think i've just like had a lot of practice for like figuring out how to turn something into something or add a layer of fun to something that's that i think is boring without it that's cool that your parents supported that way of thinking yeah i i, I mean they're i guess they're both artistic in in different ways but uh i wouldn't say either as an artist um, but they they just let my sister and I do whatever we wanted. So I think that really, um, yeah, fostered uh, a creative brain, I think, for me. Mm. And so what else were you like as a kid? You know, obviously you, you know, were thinking out of the box and, and these types of things. Were you a, a shy kid? Were you extroverted? Always, I was, yeah, Little uh, Jeff-like. Little Jeff. I was really afraid of um, being bad at things. So maybe this is actually opposite to, to like, or maybe this is why I started to invent my own games because uh, you couldn't really be bad at a game that you invented. <laughs> or like if I was drawing and I was supposed to draw a car a certain way and someone was like, that's not how you, a car looks. I could just be like, oh, well, this is a car from the future. I remember I used to draw like this like three-wheeled car all the time. And I think part of it was like, no one could tell me it was wrong because it was my own invention. Uh, and I think I, I was so afraid of failure that, I mean, one, one thing I remember vividly was I really wanted to play ice hockey and, uh, I was so excited that my parents like signed me up and it was like a summer away. So I got all the equipment and it was leading up to the first day where I'd have like tryouts. And then I think it, I realized like leading up to it, I was like, I'm going to be so bad at this because I've never played before. And I just started to become like more and more anxious about this day where I'd have to go and like, I don't know what you had to do, like skate across the ring or whatever it was. And then I remember just like laying on the ground and being like crying and being like, don't make me go to like, and it was this thing that literally like before the summer, I was so excited to go and do. Uh, and then I became like the complete opposite. I was like, this is like, why did I get myself into this position where it's kind of like doing a podcast where I'm like, why did I get myself into this position? If I don't like doing this kind we of thing. We cornered you. That's yeah. right. And uh, my parents were like, you, you told us you want to play. You have to go. Like it was like, and then I, then I ended up loving it. Like I was bad, but I think it helped me a little bit be like, oh, it's okay to like be bad and like learn. But, but I think it was a, I wasn't instantly like I was loving it. It was like I had to learn like over the course of playing for years to to get the full experience of um, being bad and then realizing it's okay to be embarrassed about it. And I think now actually that's like a goal for me is like I just turned 40. It feels weird to say that, but how often am I embarrassed trying something? How often mm -hmm. am I like failing or feeling like, stupid mm -hmm. um i think as you get older as you get into your 30s like you're not doing that a lot because like why do you want to risk looking dumb right and that's sad if you like not doing new things anymore so i think like after i realized that about myself maybe like in my 20s i was like i'm gonna like still try to uh be not be afraid not let the fear of um looking dumb stop me from doing something new and uh yeah, I think it's it's something I think about all the time. Like mm. I'd be like, that's a really stupid reason to not experience something. Just embarrassment. Um, I forget the original question or what we were talking <laughs> yeah. about, but yeah, I think like that's a bit of who I was. Like I was creative, but then I was also sort of a little bit um, 
yeah, I, I, I just didn't like the idea of being bad at something. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say I was a perfectionist because I was very like, I don't know what perfectionists are like, but I was like messier. Like I didn't care about like looking perfect. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if those things are opposite things actually like being trying to think up like ideas and be creative, but then also want to just, I don't know, excel at things or be good at things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, lots of times like we, you have this like playful spirit and have always had that, as you said, like since a kid and then even, even growing up, but oftentimes like that is frowned upon like being playful is like not something that we would like say is a chief value of someone who is driven and, you know, like in their thirties and working towards being a professional, a young professional, whatever that is, we value like sincerity and all of these things, but like playfulness breeds creativity. And I think it allows us to make mistakes because like if you're playing, you're going to like look silly, right? Like when I play with the kids and stuff they try to get me to do car wheels and like I can't and they laugh at you and it's like humbling whatever but it's fun to try something versus the alternative of like no I'm, I'm just like not going to do it like you just play and we miss out I think on opportunities to try something new learn something new experience something new and there's joy in playfulness that I think we also miss out on I think I think actually that's an interesting thing you're talking about like the way people interact with kids I think reveals how uptight they are or how like not like if they're down to like play join in whatever game kids are playing some people are not down and i'm not judging them but i think it does it does show you clearly like who's really open to or not afraid to look dumb or do things because if a kid rejects you it's kind of kind of sucks (laughs) you know if like uh i don't know it's like it's like if you can't make a kid laugh or they cry and run away from you or whatever it's like you could feel like that's a big deal and not want to do that. So I get why I guess people don't want to do it, but that's actually an interesting thing you're talking about. Like a kid almost as a signal for like how, how open you are, how comfortable you are, like to not worry about it. If you get rejected on an idea or like, you're like, let's play hide and seek and they don't want to do it. Yeah. Uh, It's funny when you start to see that transition from like pure, like unfiltered playfulness to starting to be conscious of, others are being bad at something like mm-hmm. the age where my kids are now like how they play is like so weird and creative like they just make up their own worlds and their own ways that they move their bodies and their own ways that they interact that like if we all gathered and they're having so much fun and and it looks fun to me when I join in I'm like this is this is how we should play but if we all got together and started wiggling our bodies in weird ways and and kind of making silly faces you know people be like, what's wrong with those people, you know? So, mm-hmm. like, at some point, we put restrictions on how we can play with each other and, like... Do you feel... How do you feel about that? Like, do you feel that... Like, on the one hand, they're very naive right now and they're, like, yes. creating without someone being, like, you're doing it wrong. Yes. You haven't shut them down. Uh, hypothetically, I'm saying. And they, they're sort of this, like, pure creature that hasn't been, like mashed down by the world yet yeah and they think they can do anything which is all what? kind of our birthright to be able to like yeah, yeah. do all these things like we're just and, as adults we're yeah. trying to get back to feeling like that yes. but like, how do you as a parent feel about like how do you i don't know how to even describe this because i'm not a parent but how do you rein in or how do you sort of start to like, like foster that or yeah or like protect that but that also be like they got to somehow fit into some sort of box right. for society. Mm. But like, how do you make sure that you don't like 
Well, uh, well I think track. kind of looking at your path, I think we compartmentalize playfulness into like art and creativity. Like, okay, you're doing art. Art has less rules, less boundaries. Like, let's be creative during this time. And then there's like, art time's over. Okay, now let's be structured. Or I, I think we kind of like compartmentalize it to times where we can be um, our true kind of selves and playful and silly and, and creative and imaginative and create these worlds and these spaces. And then there's time to turn that off and be like, okay, this is the real world. This is how we're supposed to play, which is kind of a sadder version of the worlds that they create. Mm. Um, kind of projecting forward of, of just hearing you talk about how you created your own games because you didn't want to be bad at something. I can kind of see like the whole lineage from that to starting your own business because uh, in Boom, creative space, like when you start your own business, you kind of play by your own rules to a degree other than that you're operating within a capitalistic structure where to sustain there has to be some sort of money coming in, in theory. Um but you get to create your own rules of what's bad and what's good and and what you enjoy and what you don't enjoy. So I think in some ways you are fostering like young entrepreneurship in how you're like creating these these fun games for, for everybody. Yeah, I mean I think uh going back to my parents again, like they I remember when I was younger I wanted to start like a clothing brand and then they they paid for me to make the t shirts and then like barely what, anyone. What was it? What was the clothing brand called? Uh, Ableist Clothing, and it was like I don't know why I thought it was like cool. Like, like there was this uh, Rob Swift album. I think it, I think I literally stole it from this Rob Swift album called <laughs> Ableist Turntablist. Like it's like I was super into hip hop, and uh, Dean Smiling maybe has like a T-shirt hidden away somewhere. I but, do. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, don't. I mean, I was gonna say don't look for it. You won't even find it. This is like pre-internet, so. Uh, but I remember just like slanging t-shirts that I got out of my car and, uh, it was not successful at all, but my friends wore it and I think it was a fun, uh, experiment. Like I came up with the logo and made way too many t-shirts <laughs> and it was from a money-making standpoint, complete failure. But I think it was, it was, uh, super meaningful for me that like my parents were down to like, just give me the shot to do it. And, um, I just always felt like if I had an idea, like they had my back and that's probably the best thing that I think a parent could do, uh, to let your kids go out and like try stuff. Even if I don't think they understood anything of what I was really doing or trying to do with it. Um, but yeah, I think like, I just, uh, yeah, I never, there was sort of like that barrier was removed where some people I think have the opposite thing where it's like you can't do that or you won't be able to do that. Or, mm. um, I think I encountered that more when I was at like, uh, Emily Carr studying film and I was trying to write a film to turn into like, like write the story to turn into a film. And when I was a kid, I would have no problem just writing a story. Like I have journal, my, my mom kept all these journals of me, like all my stories, actually every story ended with me getting lost or the, the character <laughs> getting lost. It wasn't me, but it'd be like the turtle left his house and then they flipped the page and no matter what happened in the middle, they got lost. Like I was afraid of getting, I guess that was maybe my biggest fear more than yeah. being bad at things was getting lost. Cause like every story ended with the character getting lost. Uh, but I would have no problem writing a story. But then when I was at Emily Carr, I was like having a problem writing the story because I was thinking ahead of like, 
how am I going to make this thing? So I'd be like, oh, the character's going to fly to Japan. I'm like, I can't fake an airport. I can't fake, like, there's no point putting this in because I won't be able to shoot it. So it's like, rather than Sam flies to Japan, it's like Bill takes a bus to North Van or something that's like very like, oh, it's in my budget. I could do it. But that's a really bad creative decision to like think so far ahead that it kills the creative part. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about the sort of compartmentalizing things. It's like, as a creative person, you need to be able to like completely not think about anything else and come up with the wildest thing with no limitations and, and not even be thinking about any step ahead. And only later when you want to turn it into something, be able to be like, okay, now how do we turn this really crazy, impossible thing into something? And I think a lot of ideas get killed when you start to let that creep into when you're not done the story writing part. Um, So that's like a challenge still for me. I think part of my personality too is as a kid, I always hated Sundays. I hated the idea of Sunday because Monday was school. And so the weekend was technically Saturday, Sunday, but by the time I got to Saturday night and I had fun and I'd wake up and was like, this whole day is a waste because the next day I have to do this thing I don't want to do. And it's the same thing I'm talking about of like, I wasn't able to like compartmentalize Sunday so that I can enjoy it because I was already thinking about the stuff I didn't want to do the next day. And I think as an adult now, I still struggle with that. And I think it's like, if I could just figure that out, I don't need to make way more money. I don't need to be famous. I don't need anything. If I could just enjoy each day and not think about the next day, because every day when you're an adult is Sunday, let's be honest, like <laughs> there's no weekend. You, there's always stuff you're not going to want to do. So two people could live the exact same lives. But if one person's able to enjoy the day, regardless of what they have the next day or that night, you'll be much happier. And I think like that, um, Still, I'm still trying to figure that out. Mm. We're trying. It sounds to, like presence, yeah. you know. Try yeah. it's just trying to be present in in where you're at in that in that moment. Do you have mm-hmm. ways that you try to stay in the moment, like when you feel yourself kind of feeling that Sunday feeling? How do, let's talk about Saturday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How do you feel on Saturday? That's your present moment. I mean, yeah. getting back to almost what you said about starting your own business, I think part of like why Levi and I are still working on Boom. Uh, we get to make up whatever it is all the time. And I think like that was, I don't think that's running away from responsibility, but that was like, I never thought that it had to be like nine to five X, Y, Z, the same as everyone else's schedule. Uh, Early on, it was just a hobby and there was no plan for it. And then it sort of skipped the part where it was supposed to turn into a regular nine to five. It was like went from a hobby to like, I'm staying up late at night working on this thing and it's not making any money. And then suddenly there was a chance I was like, Oh, maybe it can be its own thing. And it kind of, so it never had this like regular day job feel. It was a a hobby that suddenly I spent more and more time on. And I was like, I'm not going to do any more freelance graphic design work. I'm just going to do this. And so then I think it started out with no, no sort of boundaries and none of my friends were blogging no one even really knew what a blog I tell people like if they're like what do you do I'm like I run a blog and they're like oh okay like it wasn't like it wasn't even really common and so I think that was nice because I didn't feel like it had to fit into it's kind of like I was talking about the drawing the car incorrectly like I couldn't feel like I was doing it incorrectly because there was literally no roadmap for Mm -hmm. what I was trying to do 
And that could be a deterrent because some people need a roadmap. They need to, if you're going to be a lawyer, you go to law school, whatever, pass the bar, whatever, there's steps and then you're a lawyer. I'm just making up. Obviously, I have no idea what it takes to be a lawyer, <laughs> but like, I'm assuming there's like steps, right? Yeah. And for this thing, I guess I just turned that potential negative of like not knowing what to do and looking at it a different way. Like the creative way to look at it is like, I can do whatever I want and no one can say I'm doing it wrong because nobody knows. And then when I realized that, I was like, I'm working, I could pitch big brands and nobody knew really how blogs were supposed to work. So I could just, I could be like the person, uh, sort of like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say lying, but I would like act like it was a big team of people and I'd be doing the content, but I would also be dealing with the people that were going to potentially pitch ads to the, to us. And then I say us, but it was, at the time it was just me. And I was like, Oh, like since nobody really knows how it's supposed to work, like I can just approach the biggest brands and, and I have nothing to lose. So maybe that was very naive, but, uh, yeah, I just, I think the first transition from going from being a, like a hobby, uh, to it starting to be a job was I reached out to, I'd done like, um, graphics for Endeavor snowboards and a bunch of people around town. And, I just offered them free advertising on my site. So uh, they would just like run, put, you know, put different uh, ads on the site. And then slowly other brands who I didn't work with were like, hey, can we run ads? And then suddenly all the ads were paid for. And I mean, this is a very condensed version, but essentially it was just like, I was just making it up as I went and slowly became like a legitimate thing. And I think early on people, uh, I was really worried about the idea of trying to live off something and maintain sort of the credibility. And that's something I still think about all the time. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, part of it, it almost flipped for me opposite where early on I was like, I'm only going to run ads that are related to art. And I would turn down working with like huge companies sometimes, uh, a bunch of money. And then I realized it's like, if you don't do something with like the best, art brand or like if it's like a mediocre paintbrush company or whatever that's actually harder than the opposite which is like a very good brand but just not something in the realm or directly related to painting or photography or something so like i ran you know we did stuff like rolex or whoever and it was like luxury stuff and people were like oh my god you have like luxury you know you have like rolex as a brand advertising and so it had the opposite effect where people were like, your site must be way bigger than I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think like, then we could just be making sure that we're very transparent about how we work with brands and people like that honesty more. It's like, I'd rather know it's an ad and be like, oh, it's a good quality one and understand the relationship versus like, I'm trying to trick you into using these like crappy paintbrushes and people feel like that's more dishonest and we made less money from it. So there's a lose, lose. Anyways, this gets on down a path and not really that interesting, but it's essentially like figuring out as I went and with Levi, he's more like the other half, everything that I don't like doing. It's like his department essentially. <laughs> and I'm just lucky that we're kind of opposites like that. Um, and we both, uh, yeah, I don't know. We just, we're, I think there's very few people. Maybe he's the only person I could work with like for this long. Uh, and we both just like, you know, figuring it out as we go and it's not like everything is super unprofessional but i think it's like 
we have the freedom to pitch an idea or want to a brand comes to us that we've it's completely outside of our zone and be like is there some world where like we can make this thing do something interesting with this opportunity so i think that's the hardest thing is finding more people to get on board with you like the same the same mindset if you're trying to build your team like with the juice truck it's like finding people is the hardest and i think i was so fortunate to like let together like we can uh i don't know like it's like we don't feel like we can get shot down you know pitching an idea to each other at the same time actually i take back what i say part of what i like is we both shoot down each other's ideas all the time in a pretty ruthless way um as well as like having each other's back so i think it's like you need that and i think that's actually i think maybe what i'm good at in terms of uh being very blunt and direct if i think something's not going to work and i think that you need some of that to whatever your thing is even if it's a creative thing even if you're not trying to be a lawyer it's like well, maybe you could be a creative lawyer but i think <clears throat> you got to be able to step back like macro view uh and look at what you're doing and be able to understand what it is that you're doing and um for some reason i think i've been able to see it both ways and i think part of that is i grew up with a lot of friends and this is not a diss to any of them but they weren't really into art as much as i was so i would go to events in vancouver by myself and uh i got an interest in like street fashion all these things and i was going to a lot of stuff by myself and i was just really interested in it and i think having a background of friends who weren't at all into it adds like another perspective to boom now because whenever i'm coming up with some sort of art show or event i'm simultaneously thinking about the people in the art community will they like it and then who's this other group that i grew up with or my family or whoever what are they how are they going to look at it and i think that to be able to i don't have to really think about it just instantly kind of can picture both groups because i hang out with both groups all the Mm -hmm. time um i think that's really helpful to like not get caught inside of a a bubble or a paradigm or a way of thinking about something right yeah you make it more accessible to whatever it is that you know you're building or creating not only just to the people that you know are in your close community but who else can enjoy it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. totally i think even some of like the early days of boom like thinking back you know, because it was all, it was new to me to be like, oh, okay, like, this is this website where you can go and see, like, whatever, amazing photos or just, like, cool art that people have created, whatever it, whatever it is. But then interspersed with that was, like, the, the creative and collaborative projects that you invited people to do. Like, mm-hmm. the very first one was, like, take a picture of a sunset. And so you don't have to be an artist to do that. And yet, when you looked at all those photos, like, it, it's indiscernible, like, which one is someone who's actually an artist in some part of the world, like capturing a beautiful sunset and someone who just like has their shitty, like pixelated phone and like took a picture of it and shared it. But you did like, you made something that I think for most people would be like, Oh, I don't know enough about art to contribute to like an art website. Mm -hmm. But you, your invitation was for people to step into that world, which I think like even just now reflecting in this conversation is built into that idea of like inviting people to play and do something that maybe, oh, I feel silly doing this, like Little Drifters, some of the other video projects and stuff, like you're just inviting people to create and experiment and play and like 
make a mistake or look foolish, but kind of in community. So it like makes it all right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's hundred percent true. I think, um, my goal early on was, um, how can I make people who have no, they don't even think they have an interest in art sort of like, can I trick them into experiencing it almost? Mm. And I guess it's not that different from like inviting people over to my house to draw like after school. Uh, they might never consider doing that unless I'm telling them that's what we're doing. <laughs> and then they might be excited about what they drew in the end. And then I got really interested in like projects where uh, you listed a bunch of the early ones. Um, I think a lot of them had this element of like naive, naivete, na- naiveness to them, uh, where like the little drifters project was just like taking driftwood or scraps of whatever trash and things and then building a little boat out of it and then floating it in like a pond or something and so it's a very like childish thing to do uh and I remember organizing that and feeling actually nervous about because we planned an event and up until that point I'd only done like art show like real like a quote-unquote real art event and I was like will people actually come to do this like very like childish thing something that I like doing, but I don't know if other people will. And I remember driving to the park where we organized it and I was pretty early. Like my sister and I were um, showing up there ahead of time to put like balloons up where people would meet. And then I could already see people like scrounging around in bushes and trees. And I was like, Oh my God, there's like tons of people here. And it was like kids and then uh, parents and then adults with no kids. It was like all kinds of people and not like just like the people that go to like East Van art shows. It was like, all kinds of people and I love that I was like this is like what I'm super interested in and it's not just the the boats idea but it's like anything to get all these people together and I think in a way it's like alcohol it's like getting drunk people feel like they got to get drunk to dance or to sing or to kind of like loosen up and so for boom to be like oh we're gonna have people make these boats it's like they have permission to do it. You are allowed to act like a kid or I shouldn't even say act like a kid. You're just allowed to be creative and not care about it. Mm-hmm. And if someone asks you why, you can just say this website is telling me I should do it. Yes. <laughs> so like you could have like an excuse. And um, yeah, I think like for whatever I do for the rest of my life, like somehow that that will be part of it, I think. What about, sorry, you go I ahead, just, yeah, you I just go had ahead, a, yeah, I just had a question. What about, um, giving people to use your word permission to do these things? Like, how does that make you feel being able to do this for others? Um, I mean, it's like the why I enjoy it. I, I, it makes me feel good. I think like, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just that's what I find the most fun is seeing someone enjoy something that they maybe otherwise wouldn't. And it's not just those people because I also equally enjoy seeing people who I know would like it, liking it too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, I think there's something interesting about it's getting back to the question about like kids and like, they're sort of like at a certain point they start to learn about, I wouldn't say like learn about the world, but they learn like the box that the kind of the regular way that the world is supposed to work or something. And you start to lose the childlike sense of wonder of like, 
I think anything's possible. And I guess a lot of these things are just me trying to like not lose that stuff or they were, I actually don't, I don't think about losing it now because I'm 40 now. I don't, it's like, I'm not worried about losing. That's like how I'm going to be. And, and maybe like, maybe I just act like a kid. Maybe like, actually this is a random, I mean, all this is random tangent, but I went to the <laughs> liquor store and I was like buying some beer. This is like last month. And then I went to pay and I'm like, I'm 39. The guy's like, I need to see some ID. I'm like, okay. So I give him my ID. And then he's like really looking at it. And I was like, like I was already kind of like, I was in a bit of a hurry and I was like this guy. And then, so he goes, uh, he's like 1985. And I was like, Oh, this guy's going to test me on my own birthday. Like, I don't look like I'm, so I was like, uh, and I kind of had an attitude. I was like 1982. And then he's like, what? And and he like pointed and he's pointing at the price and he's like, no, your beer is like 1980s like that. <laughs> and I was I felt so bad because I was just had such an attitude. I thought he was testing me on my own birthday. But, you're, um, haggling, you're haggling him on the cost of beer. But yeah, maybe like I'll just, I'm okay with being ID'd. I think like that the things I do, maybe like I act like a kid or maybe like, I don't know how you're supposed to be when you're like 40 or whatever. But um, yeah, I guess, I guess like I don't see that like, I don't see how I behave as different from how you're supposed to be as an adult anymore. I'm like, this is like, I know what I'm doing is like how I feel. Um, and yeah. So how do we foster that? How do we create a society where we don't lose permission to play or permission to be creative? Like how do we create a culture where we're always giving ourselves that permission? Um, thinking about kids, thinking about adults that lose that, ability to be silly to play to be creative like I know at work a lot of people are like oh well I'm just not creative and I don't believe that as a person I think we're all creative we just kind of turn off those labels and tell that story because mm. somebody at some point told that person that they weren't good at art or weren't good at poetry or dancing or whatever so how do we foster culture community where creativity is that birth-like childlike state for a lifetime i think uh, i think a big part of it is just like seeing an example of it mm -hmm. uh i remember like early on in boom's history uh i i met a guy named jasper and it's a, a kind of a long story but we became friends he's he runs a huge mural festival it started in hawaii all over the world um called worldwide walls now um, but one of our first experiences together was he's like, Hey, come do a show at the time he lived in Hong Kong. And, um, I, so I came up with this idea for this small victories photo show and people could like mail physically mail in photographs to my address. And then they just had to be like funny, strange, weird, uh, beautiful things that people encountered on the street. And then I would take like hundreds of these things with me to Hong Kong to this gallery and install them. Uh, it was just like an easy way to take small format photos with me there. And I didn't really know Jasper too well, but he was like super connected to so many artists. And on that trip, he's like, Oh, let's just go to Japan. We're already in Hong Kong or let's go to Macau. And we just went all over the place. And I was like, this is like the people that I met on that trip a lot of them became some of my closest friends and it was just cool to be around a bunch of people who are like all my age, but nobody had like a quote unquote regular job. Everyone was like 
I don't know, like traveling the world, finding different ways to like do interesting things. And it, it was just weird to, to have those people outnumber. There was literally, it was non-existent actually, the people that just had like a regular job on that trip. And because in my mind, it was kind of like, oh, I'm going to go back home and then I'm going to kind of fall back into my regular routine. But all these people are going to go like to the next, not even go home. They're going to go, everyone's traveling somewhere else. And I was like, how, I want to do that. Like, I want to be like these people. And it's almost like I just suddenly saw like another whole half of the world. And I experience this all the time too with like movies, like where um, I watch a movie, but then I think about the people that made the movie or I watch a show and I think about the people that made the show and they're on like another timeline that I want to know about more because they made this show like two years ago. And they're already making a show that you're not going to see for another year. And they're like in the future. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's like a really weird thing to realize that a lot of the stuff we consume is like old. And another whole group of people are, are already doing that stuff. Like we're, we're like getting artifacts from like the past already. Mm -hmm. And I think like both those things really made me feel like this, not a bad anxiety, but just like anxious to like go do stuff. Like I'd felt like I wasted all this time. And even though I hadn't wasted time, but I just felt like it's a good thing I took this trip to Hong Kong and Japan and wherever else now because I finally see like there's this whole other stuff I didn't even know about. Hmm. I mean, like I knew about like artists or whatever, but it was like to actually experience that it was normal. And like I have a couple of really rich friends and they talk about a life that is almost equally foreign where it's like, I'm like, hey, well, you know, I'm thinking about doing this thing. What would you do? And they're like, I would just like fly out to wherever, take the client to. I'm like, their their solution is something that's not reasonable for me, yeah. but I like hearing it because it normalizes it. I not that I want to like normalize everything, but just like they're like, why wouldn't you do this thing? Mm-hmm. And it gets back to the thing I was talking about of like having problems with creative writing and thinking about too far about like, is it possible? I think it's awesome to go for lunch with someone who's really rich and they give you advice that is completely not going to help you and on the surface is not going to help you, but it is going to help you because it's going to unlock this idea of like, you got to think way bigger than you are. <laughs> and so I don't want to always hang out with those people. I don't want to always hang out with any type of person. I like a variety so that my mind is just like stays malleable or like, I don't feel like there's only one solution for this thing. Yeah. And and sometimes I don't know the answer right away. Like it's like it takes me a while to be like, you know what? Something this person said. There's so much that doesn't work for what I'm where I'm at. But this one thing I never thought of. Uh, yeah. I love that. I think like um, having that mindset of being curious allows us to see what's possible. And if we don't, if we're not curious, if we just build a wall and we're like not interested in rich people or not interested in artists or not interested in what other people think or how they got there then we just limit ourselves to these boxes that we've put ourselves in and I think just like kind of looking at yourself like you've grew up playing your friends that were playing hockey and playing sports and then you had these art friends but you're always trying to like learn from both crowds to make uh, things accessible to to everybody I think that also can change how we approach things like 
I think about your art and your events versus my experience at Emily Carr. And, you know, we'd go to art galleries and they'd be like quite exclusive, you know, like the people buying the art were wealthy. Um, if you didn't show up with, you know, a certain way, you'd be maybe judged by the curators or the art gallery. And I think you've already always created a space where everybody's welcome. And I think it kind of speaks of your curiosity to all of the groups that make up the big picture. Yeah, I mean, that's great if that's how it feels to you, because I think, yeah, it's it's important to get uh, the outside perspective on it. And I think uh, really that's important to me. So mm-hmm. I'd be sad if it felt like every other stuffy art gallery. I think like I enjoyed my time at Emily Carr, but I also think it's ironic that I ended up spending the rest of my life doing art because when I was there, I wasn't going out like I wasn't like going to all these art parties. I was I was kind of just felt like a like a normie person yeah, trying felt, to learn. I felt the same there, yeah. And so yeah. I and that's not like that's not I it's just that's just how I felt. And I didn't have a lot of favorite artists. I remember someone asking me one of my years there like who's your favorite artist? I was like, "I don't know." And I was just like, "Why don't I know? Like why yeah. do I not even like this stuff?" And I was like I don't like it. I flipped through the art history book that we're studying. I was like, I don't think any of this is interesting. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, like pretty much I just, it wasn't like connecting with me. Yeah. And it actually wasn't until like I started to look at work that was funny as an artist named Tom Friedman. I was like, oh my God, like I love this stuff. And it was humor for me was like, I can finally start to feel like I get it. And serious work um, it's it's harder to feel like you understand what you're talking like what they're talking about. It seemed like more of a risk. So if there's a joke and it makes you laugh, it's like you know that you got the joke. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm gonna just research more like funny artists. And then I was like, oh, there's actually art that I really like because it's just like I started to feel like I did understand a bit of what they're uh, trying to do. And then, then I sort of had a light bulb moment. I was like, oh, like person just needs to find like whatever their bridge is into the thing. And for me, that was like humor. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of, uh, I wouldn't say like I'm on a mission for everyone to have that sort of light bulb moment, but a way much smaller goal of just like, uh, yeah, I don't know. We talk a lot about art, but for me, it's like art is just like uh, the, pro- like the, the product of creativity. And I think creativity, Activity of just if there's a pie chart of my life and there's just like parts of the pie chart are just survival like eating drinking sleeping the whole rest of it is creativity mm-hmm. so it's like i don't choose to do it it's just like I, when i wake up and i'm not doing any of these other things sometimes even while i'm doing those other things i'm like thinking of creative things uh i don't have a choice and um i think that i have the most fun when i just like embrace that It's kind of like the rest of the pie is just living, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't see it as like, here's my creative part of my life. And then here's the rest of my life other than sleeping or things that were, but I'm dreaming too. So maybe, maybe actually creativity is like, um, I'm going to steal a thing from my dad. My dad's a pastor or he was when I was growing up. And so his pie chart of life would have God at the center. And for me, like, I totally get that. And I think right in there, too, I put creativity. So maybe the whole pie chart is split up with, like, if you're working and whatever else, 
then in the middle, like always the center part of it is like the creative part is like overlaps all of the yeah. sections. So I think that's more like that resonates with me that is just like, I, I can't separate it from the rest of my life. It's just like, I, my brain only works like that. Mm-hmm. So on creativity, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast and it's something I'm always curious about. Where do you think creativity comes from? I think there's like two, maybe uh, there's probably more answers, but I gave this example of Mary Oliver talking about creativity for her was a practice. It was just showing up in repetition and she'd have these divine moments of inspiration through being consistent and having practice. For others, it's subconscious or sporadic. Um, you know, it could be from your ecosystem of what you surround yourself with. Like, where, where does creativity come from for you? What does, what does that mean? I've never actually looked up, like, what the definition of creativity is. But I think, like, to me, it's like, if there's a structure or a way that things are supposed to be done, creativity is like anything else. And uh, in a way, I think when there's, like, constraints, it, like breeds creativity faster because if I don't have the latest camera and only have my phone, I have to make a film using just my phone. There's all these things that like, it forces you to be creative. And this kind of gets into another whole discussion, but I think like you could make the argument that we're in some ways in the least creative time period because it's hard not to be obsessed with like the next thing. Uh, you used to get so much use out of like the first Nintendo or the first PlayStation and there would be years where like it was they push it to the limit there's a new phone every year and my phone I would never have upgraded my phone but the last iPhone I had literally bricked like it turned completely it didn't even turn on so I'm forced to get another phone and I've never I haven't even used my previous phone to the potential and so we there's no reason to be creative almost they're giving us less reason they're spoon feeding us more reasons to not be creative and i think that's kind of an interesting thing it can kind of feel like you're doing more but um you're not really using your brain the same way i think and i almost think yeah i don't know it's like uh i'm i honestly can't figure out how to relate this back to your question but i think it's like where do you think your creative creativity comes from yeah like i I don't try to seek it out. And I don't mm-hmm. know if that sounds like cocky or something, but I, I, I actually, I just think that it, I mean, it, it, it might be just from like years and years and years of just like, if it's a muscle, you're like exercising your brain muscle. But, um, and I think like, I, I like I always had a lot of ideas. I think I overwhelm people with ideas often. And I think when I was younger, I had a fear around the time I was in school, I was like, maybe I'm going to run out of ideas. Like I only have so many. And I think a lot of people are protective of ideas because of this fear. They don't want someone to know like their trick for doing it. Someone's like, Oh, what microphones do you use for your podcast? Maybe some people are like, I don't want to tell you like, you have to, you have to like pay your dues and figure it out. Right, right. But like kids are going to figure that out or they just yeah. like go to wire cutter or something. They'll recommend them the best podcast setup or something. Yeah. It's like, you might as well be the person sharing all the knowledge because they're going to figure it out anyways. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know. I, I just like it. I don't have to, at a certain point I just was like, I'm never going to run out of ideas. 
And my bigger fear was like, I don't want to just be an idea person. I want to be doing this. And I was like, wow, I have more respect for people that are just doing stuff all the time. Even if it's not their idea, like people that are making a whole, like 50 mediocre movies. I'm like, I actually more respect that than the person who comes up to me at a party and tells me the wildest idea I've ever heard. Cause I'm like, come back and tell me when you do it. Yeah. Cause everyone has like crazy ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's like, I think like, I haven't, not that I've never had like a creative block, but just like, I don't have to, I don't do anything to try to make it happen. And it's almost like, I think I tried to describe it before, but like, it's not even a thing to me. It's just like in everything. It's how you live. It's it's your life force in a way. I was thinking about creativity the other day and, and trying to think of it not as like creativity as we're trying to define it now but I was like you know creativity is just the ability to express yourself in whatever way that is like it it's like you're you're you feel like dancing or you feel like wearing that thing today or you feel like telling someone you love them or in you know through a note or whatever it is so yeah being creative is just just being able to express who you are and sort of like what's inside of you at the moment Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're so keen. So I don't think you'll ever lose. You won't lose ideas. Yeah. If you're constantly trying to express yeah. something. We always try to put it in a box, I think. Like creativity is making some sort of art. And I think it's really important, May, like what you said, is it could be your fashion. It could be the way you speak to the people that matter the most to you. It could be how, like what you cook, right? That could be your creative expression. And I think that people are probably more creative than they give themselves credit for because maybe an art teacher or someone along the way told them you can't draw and that translates to like, oh, I'm not creative. And it's so sad because, you know, even hearing Jeff, as you're saying, like this uh, realization that you don't have to live like the nine to five, like you can just live and be who you are. Like, so that's what everyone's looking for. That's what everyone is longing for. Like, I'm in this nine to five, but this isn't my job. Like, this this is what I do, but I like I don't really like it. I don't feel like I'm being my full self. And yet that's, for some reason, like, that's what we hold up as, like, the norm. And this is, like, what you should aspire to. Like, get the job, do the thing, get a degree, whatever it is, and just, like, do that. And at the end of their lives or at some point along our lives, we realize, like, wow, I'm really unhappy because I'm not being who I'm supposed to be. Whereas, like, you've been able to like navigate towards that and I think live into it in a way that's more true to yourself than like oh I should be doing this but this is who I feel like I am right having those experiences even if it's like your parents setting you up and being the person who invites people over to draw being willing to be bad at something but for the sake of like trying something new I think like we all would benefit to to try to live more like aligned with who we are. And it starts with that awareness of like, okay, creativity is central to who I am. So I'm not going to try to turn it off. I'm not going to try to fit into some other box. I'm just going to like try to be this person. Do you think there's a moment where that like switched for you? Like you mentioned that one art show with Jasper and experiencing that, was that like a shift where you're like, oh man, I see how these other people live and I'm going to be more conscious, like try to pursue that lifestyle more. Was there like a freedom in that? Like you talk about giving permission to other people to create art. Who gave you permission to like do this? Yeah, I, I, I guess, yeah, that was probably one of the moments where because I really only came up with that art, that photo show concept to be able to make the trip make sense. So the whole thing was kind of like, oh, this thing only exists. Like it could have easily not exist, but I just sort of like 
made it exist. And uh, I, I guess like people were just making the choice to make that how they live. And I, and I actually have nothing against nine to five like jobs. And a lot of my most creative friends actually have nine to five jobs and they prefer to have their hobby as the creative thing. And sometimes I'm like jealous that I can't do that. Like I literally don't think I could have that type of job. Um, but I like, cause I, when I was younger, I like landscaped for as a job and I kind of liked this idea of like raking up bags of grass. And at the end you could see like how many bags of grass you had. The downside to creative jobs sometimes is there's no bags of nothing at the end. (laughs) You don't feel that satisfaction of like, at least I put 11 bags of grass, you know, and they're getting hauled away or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, it's not for everybody. But I, I guess this is just like me figuring out over time, like what I most enjoy. And I, I don't know if there was a time where like I felt like, oh, now I'm allowed to do this. But I do feel like I, I feel the, I have an example of the opposite where like when I worked at Electronic Arts, um, video game company, I was working with amazing team of these artists older than myself like the best in the business and I could just I started as a co-op there and I could learn from each of them um I just like I just felt like like I was trying to figure out how each person did their job because they all worked a different way and my goal in my mind was like I'm going to figure out the way that you're supposed to do the job because I don't know how to like make video games or make art on computer digitally or whatever and I was like oh my god like one guy's like doing these amazing pencil drawings and scanning them in and someone else working purely digital. And then there's like all these different techniques. And I was like, there isn't really one way to do any of this. And then I told one of them, I was like, I kind of feel like I'm a bit of an imposter here because like, I, I feel like at any moment, like I'm going to get fired. And I wasn't just like being, um, I literally didn't know what I was doing. Like I got the job there kind of telling a white lie that I knew like Photoshop and all these things. And I really didn't. I came from, doing film at Emily Carr and I kind of bluffed my way in. So I was doing work where like, I had no idea what I was doing the first like couple <laughs> months, but I got lucky that EA had a university program there where, or quote unquote university, EA university where you could like enroll in classes and it was meant for like business HR people to like take art classes or art people to take whatever business management classes. But I was an artist taking art class. I was like, hey, I need to like take some of that. Not to like learn the programs, even though I did. I was like, not to learn the programs, but just to speak the same lingo as you guys. So my project manager put me into these classes and I was like learning my own job. I love this. But so I was like, I was like just like scratching and calling to keep like what I felt like stay afloat there because I didn't even like I didn't have a tablet for I was trying to do everything with a mouse. And I remember an art director on this like Def Jam fight for New York fighting game came down. He was like, well, you know, you're not doing anything correctly. He's like, show me like bring out your tablet. And I was like, I don't even have one. He's like, you've been trying to do like this stuff with a mouse. And I was like, yeah, like nobody gave it, gave me one. So he felt really bad and he showed me all the stuff. And I felt like, anyways, I expressed that to someone else in the department. I was like, I feel like I'm going to get fired. Cause like, I don't really know what I'm doing. And he's like, dude, I feel like I felt like that for like 15 years. And I think that that's like, any creative person just feels like because you're you're kind of in some ways to varying degrees like outside the structure the system of like the way most people live that you're like getting away with something and you're it's harder to measure value yeah and you're just like when they figure out that i'm not really doing this thing the way that everyone else is they're gonna get mad and get rid of me 
And so I think maybe even earlier than the Jasper thing was at work there. I was like, all these guys I sit with, they're much older than me. And they've, they've felt like this and they just realized that that was how it feels to do this. Right. And, uh, and I think that kind of gave me confidence cause I was like, Oh, like then, then I can survive this. Like, yeah. Uh, so it wasn't really like permission, but it was more just like realizing that or just like all these other people are getting away with it. Like I can do it. <laughs> well, it kind of goes to your bag of leaves things. Like when you're landscaping, you can measure those leaves at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But when you're creating like you're it's endless you know, yeah. there's no i got my 11 bags of leaves and i'm done it's like let's keep creating let's mm-hmm. keep these ideas going let's keep pushing boundaries or whatever so it's it's harder the metrics are very different mm-hmm. we, i think we try to create metrics to to operate within society but the metrics can be like limitless in yeah. a way and, and it's more like a feeling like those metrics are more of a yes, like intuition. a feeling inside right yeah. Rather than, you know, an actual number. Bags of yeah. yeah, bags of <laughs> The very definition you gave, you know, of uh, creativity for you, right, just a few moments ago was like, if there's a structure, is everything else. So like even in that EA thing, like here's a structure, write it on your tablet, do it this way. What is everyone else doing? And you were kind of finding your way like around that and then realized like, so was everybody else there. Like it, mm-hmm. it validates that experience of like, okay, here is a way or you could say the way of doing something. And then okay, how am I going to do it now? And like totally. find, finding that way, like it gives you, it gives you that sense of like, okay, yeah, imposter syndrome, but at the same time, along with everyone else. So let's just pursue that. Uh, yeah, totally. Like I, EA was before Boom existed. And I remember for the last part of my job there, uh, before I left, I, I had an amazing manager named Genevieve and she, I was like, I pitched her on this idea. I was like, everyone in my department, because we're concept art, we make art for games and nobody sees it. No one's allowed to see it. So I was like, it's really sad for all these artists who spend so much time making these amazing pieces and really it only goes into like another department for like the lighting people to see it or whatever. So I was like, let's have an art show. So it was really the first show I think I organized was within EA and I got to spend months like picking a whole bunch of art within the building, getting it framed, having this whole art show. And the artists were like so excited because mm. they'd never, no one's seen this other than inside the building and not even most people in the building, only like certain departments would see it. Right. Mm. Um, so they framed all and put it, I don't know if it's still there, but like tons of art throughout the whole, like the, the main campus. And uh, I was like, wow, I really enjoyed just that like experience. Um, and I think my job, started out as like photoshopping like images for like playstation magazine or something so it was very like like a like a co-op student and then what i ended up doing was like i just felt like i made that role happen for myself because early on my job could have stayed like that the entire time right but i was like i want to do other stuff i want to figure out like what everyone here is doing and i I was lucky that, yeah, like my managers or people above me were like super down to put me on any game team or do whatever. And um, they actually paid for me to go back to school and shoot a film because they wanted me to go back and work for them. And so shout out to EA for paying for my school. But then there was the economy went down, you know, the tubes and then they couldn't uh, hire me back. But they just said like I could leave with free schooling. So uh, that's kind of led to me starting boom. I was kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing now. Like yeah. I don't have to do the job I thought I did. I was actually kind of sad about it cause I learned a lot there, but, um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Cool. You made your way. Yeah. That ending 
gave possibility for boom. That's that's cool. Mm-hmm. Can I um, change direction for a few minutes? Okay, so uh, one of my favorite things, Jeff, when we get together is when we talk about just like societal trends and human behavior. You always have, um, you know, a unique perspective that I didn't necessarily consider before. And, and sometimes, I haven't even told you this, like you'll, ha- you'll share something that I'll like percolate with me for like months, you know, I'll be like, be like that just that different perspective, like shifts that experience or that idea and I'll kind of resonate with it and um, before we started podcasting we were just talking about different things and we, you brought up personalization of, of the internet can we kind of go down that that rabbit hole for a few minutes and see see where that yeah goes? like uh, I've been thinking a lot about this and actually I'll go I'll go back to a while ago I, I had this idea for like what I thought was going to be like a a never before seen movie idea. It might still not exist. So someone can feel free to steal this idea if you listen to this podcast. But my idea, this is like a decade ago, was if you were to shoot a, a film, let's say it's a film of us doing this podcast, instead of there being like 10 shots for the film, let's say we film each scene 10 different ways. But it could be even very similar. Like if it was a shot of Zach nodding in agreement uh, and you say something, I'm like, okay, we're going to do it 10 times. Did you going to say the exact same thing? But maybe in one of the shots, like a bird flies by or uh, Dean's kid runs through or something like that. They're subtly different. And let's say like you assemble the whole film and this is old enough that I was thinking about like DVD players. I was like, I could just make them where it randomly selects which of the 10 and it goes through and like this thing of like, even if I only had 10 shots, it would be, I don't know, I'm not good at math, but it'd be like a huge number of yes, variabilities yeah. where like you wouldn't actually see the same film twice. But the trick with this movie is you wouldn't know that you saw a different movie. If like, if I never told you that and a year later you watched it again, you, you would remember the line. So you might not even think it was different. And it wouldn't be only until like you watch it several times where maybe there's a part where you're like, oh, this is really funny how Dean says this line. And then Dean doesn't say it or he just says it a different way. You're like, well, something's weird with this movie. And then it's, it kind of feels like it's alive, you know, like it's like a new experience every time. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that done, but Genius. so the crazier thing was, so I had this idea a long time ago and then I watched, um, the the film inside out, like the kids movie. Uh, and there's a scene I think where the kids play ice hockey in it. I can't remember exactly. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I was reading about it later and actually not everyone saw that scene kids in other parts of the world saw kids playing soccer or football. And so, and that wasn't the first time I think where I heard of that. But what I realized was they're not seeing the same, like in a way, my idea was already taking place because mm. they started to switch out. Like, I don't know how much of the movie it could be. If you imagine that's like happening in every scene. And the crazier thing is if you think about Amazon prime, Amazon prime, has streaming but they also know everything that you've bought for the last like decade depending on how long you've used amazon so now let's imagine the movie that we made of us podcasting and in one scene i go to drink a beer but amazon knows let's say this film magically was on amazon prime this is not an ad for amazon prime uh (laughs) they instead of a beer it knows that zach really likes starbucks coffee and then magically i'm drinking a starbucks right so the potential for that is like scary and it's 
I'm sure already happening. It's like they can they if they want to they could insert a whole bunch of different scenes based on who's watching it and then right. have different versions mm-hmm. play. And that's just one part of personalization that's happening. Another thing is like Spotify. You listen to Spotify playlists. There's like a thing that builds this radio based on like your your likes. But you don't know like if things have been paid for in there. And you're like, oh, this is a radio that's built specifically for my taste. But it's like someone paying for a spot in there is actually it's a very effective way to introduce music to you because you're like way more open to it. Yeah. Um, anyway, this is just just kind of the tip of the iceberg of it but i started to think about just like how sad it is that uh we would start to see we don't like if my film was the standard this thing that i thought would be really cool and what i wanted to do with this sort of it's not even choose your own adventure it's like you don't have control of it uh if that becomes a standard it's like sad in a way because I like the idea that if we've all watched like Princess Bride or some movie, we all know the same movie. We had like a shared experience. And there's something very sad, I think, about this idea of like that could go away or it's already starting to go away. And even just like things like streaming services where you can pick like even if you finish episodes of a show or like how you watch them, you can watch them out of order. It's like there's your experience of even the same show without any of that special stuff I'm talking about, it's different. And um, your Instagram feed. So in a way, it's like, boom, is a shared experience because everybody sees the same site. If No matter which of us logs into the site right now, it looks the same. You're going to see the same artists in the same order. But Instagram's different. We're all seeing different content based right. on what we like. And TikTok's an even more extreme version of that. And there's a million reasons why. Actually, there's one reason why it's money. But... Mm-hmm. Um, it's sad. I think it's like, I mean, not everyone's sad. Maybe I'm just extra sensitive about it, but there is something sad about this idea that like, uh, I think maybe that's what I like about games. Like it's like a game that we all sit around and we're all experiencing the same thing. And there's like a memory that we're creating together that we all shared the same like moment together. And I don't know, there's something just like that I don't click with about if we all came to this room and then we all put headsets on and we all played an individual game and then we left. It's like, why did we come together? Or, um, yeah, I don't know. There's something about it that I find is just like opposite to like what I am interested in. And so it's really tricky now, or it's an interesting creative problem to think about what does boom look like in the next five years? Because this is, it's not even happening now. It's been happening for like five years already. So how do you like, I don't know the answer to it actually, to be honest, but for me personally, I'm just like starting to resist certain, like I'm not on TikTok. There's certain things where like, I might look at stuff just to like, almost like research. Um, But I do really protect my own creative brain or this idea of like, when I was scared before of like not being able to come up with new ideas, I think I'm very aware of like, when I'm spending a lot of time on something like an app or whatever, and I'm like, I'm not getting anything new out of this. I'm just, it's just like a loop. Mm. Uh, I want to remove that. I want to like spend that time actually getting more ideas. Mm -hmm. And the scary thing is these things can make you feel like you are, or they might even give you lots of ideas. Actually, they work good as like mood boards or whatever stuff that's already happened. Uh, But yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think like, I was saying to you guys before, like, I think that there's going to be like a split where like, there's going to be like a rejector culture 
especially amongst creative people. I'm already starting to see it happen. Even like pe- like young people, people that are like not on TikTok, not on whatever else. And they're just like making cool music and they have a lot of them are in their own little cliques and they have like a filmmaker and photographer and a stylist and a one's a musician and they just like have their own concerts, you know, and it's almost like disconnected from everything else. And you don't even know how to go watch their shows because they, they're not interested in almost in it. And I think that's really amazing for creativity. Mm. So I think like, um, yeah, I think it will be an interesting shift if in the next few years, as I mean, Instagram's already like Facebook that if very influential, famous people were like, what you still use this thing? Like they turned it into like a, it's like a diss to you if you still do. Right. If it becomes that uncool to do it, you might see more of a shift or like they just are off all the platforms. Um, and I think even if that doesn't happen in the near future, it's just, I already see that trend of like people posting way less and they're just like all sort of hanging around there, but like not really that engaged, mm-hmm. uh, or just like mindlessly engaged. And yeah, I just think that there's, I don't know what this other thing is other than being like, no, like rejecting things. And I yeah. think like in a way, like when I first started my site, I was, I mean, I would just try to get to what I called like the basement of the internet. Like I would be like searching like an artist link, you know, uh, like artists would have home pages back then and then they would link their friends and I would find artists through other artists and I'd end up in places where like, I didn't even know how I got there, but that only lasted like for a few years. And then soon it was like, I was literally like putting my hands up, like trying to block how much stuff was like thrown at me right and curation was less about like searching really hard for stuff and more like not allowing things that were like flooding in you know at you Mm. and i think like that's uh it's just gonna get more extreme over the next little bit of like how much is being um signals that are being sent to your face (laughs) and in conjunction with that there's this thing of like every single thing is demanding more of your attention. So like I've seen like toothpaste companies like having whole social media things. It's like, or like, it's like the Marvel universe is a big example. It's like, it's hard to like casually watch it now. Like you, it's like, if you didn't keep up on Loki or these other things, a series, you don't even know all the things that are happening in the movie. And it's like such a commitment to be like, I can't even be a marvel fan and a fan of something else i need to choose like one thing and it's like if music is going to require that of me and being into marvel and being into star wars and being into the new lord of the rings and game of thrones and it's like you can't be a fan of all those things and know it to the level that you would love to if you had the time so it's already at an impossible sort of stage of like you can't be in all these things at the level they want you to and so something has to happen the opposite way because there's already, it's like you don't have enough time as a human to like do any of those things. And that's not even talking about the most important thing, which is just like human connection, <laughs> hanging out. When, when do you fit that in with all your interests? So I think it's just like everyone's trying to scramble to get the most eyes all the time. And it's just already at a level that's like impossible. So it's like, I don't know what other thing could happen other than people being like, I'm cutting this thing out. 
Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that, um, you know, talking about all the stuff that's like coming at you, you, you definitely lose that sense of discovery. And even though they use the words like discover or explore, you're not really discovering or exploring on your own because it is, to your point, so personalized and focused. You're not really always getting outside of the bubble for new things. And you also just don't have any space to mm-hmm. in your brain to come up with any new ideas of expression or, or creativity. So yeah, it, it, I agree that there's, there's something very sad about being able to discover in those old ways of actually discovering things naturally. Yeah, I think. And so what you're talking about actually is like a separate interest I have is, um, I kind of want to do a project where it's all about learning concepts for kids or just for anyone. So imagine it's like 50 objects. Each object is designed by a different artist or photographer, some creative person. And it just teaches someone one thing about the world. So it's like, this teaches you about balance. This teaches you about gravity. This is mixing primary colors. This is how light works is whatever. And it's just like an object you could play with or some sort of, it's just like a design object, but it actually teaches you something. And like, I got the idea because, uh, well, from a few different things, but like my uncle had this puzzle when I was a kid and it was just a box and there was no instructions and I could hear something inside of it, but it wouldn't open. And so he just sort of left me with it. And it took me a long time before I realized if you spin the box really fast, like flat, you can open it. And when you open it, the only thing that's inside is like these four tracks and there's these little pegs. So centrifugal force, sends the pegs to the outside and that's what opens. It's like the locking mechanism is the only thing that's in the box. And so that teaches you a concept about how the world works. And I think this, the tangent I'm going on, the way I'm getting there is that there's a moment that I can remember that that illustrated that idea, like that learning thing was like a aha moment for me. And it's a real discovery when you like, like you, you physically are holding something and then you, no one has to, tell me anything I can look in and understand what happened uh and I think the opposite sort of discovery or not opposite but the thing that's labeled as discovery on like Instagram's feed or whatever you're not having those like aha moments you're just having like dopamine firing because you're like another picture of like a funny dog another whatever piece of art that looks like 500 other pieces of art that I like or whatever um it's and then when you close the app and you come back it like shows you the same image again it's not an accident that starts you with the image where you ended because they want you to just like go back into your journey and then stay on there longer so it's a problem because it's not designed to like help us it's designed to keep you on there longer and this is like this is not revolutionary information right but i think it's like i'm just more interested in like the how do you create like a like a sort of aha moment or a moment of discovery or a real like I guess like a core memory for someone. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be fun as a product to explore that. And it's in many ways, it just feels like so much more fulfilling than like, I saw this really cool thing. Yeah. Do you see like a return to like more of an analog approach to that kind of stuff where you talk about like even bands where they're curating like photographers, videographers and doing these concerts where it's like, if you don't know, you won't know. Mm -hmm. And it's more like in person, uh, and less about the online version, the metaverse version of it. And I guess the second part I'd be curious about is like, 
is Pandora's box just open? Is it too late? Or is there a way to go back? Because early days of social media, there was so much room to actually discover, but now mm. it's like saturated that you are, you're like, there's no discovering. It's just being like blasted at you all day, every day to the point of it's, you can't even, you can't even find something. Is there a way to like go back? So it's kind of like a analog experience, but it's still, there's still an Instagram account attached to it or like what, what is a, what is a healthy version or like a, a holistic version? I, I think like, like, uh, they could be a lot of physical things, but I, it's an interesting question you're raising because I don't think they have to be. I don't think analog automatically means better. Right. And it's, kids are growing up in a digital age where they're, it, they're not going to know that life before. I mean, you can prevent them from using stuff for a long time, but they're just seeing it's stuff everywhere. that's electronic. Yeah. Um, and so I'd never thought about this before, but actually a digital example of what I just talked about was I saw a website that was just like the ocean. And all it was was like a blue sky in the surface of the water and a scroll bar. And I literally scrolled down and it went from like, here's like a salmon, here's like a crab, here's a whale, here's whatever. And then it got pretty dark really quick. And then it was like, here's jellyfish, here's like a lanternfish, here's whatever. And then it's like, oh, we don't actually know what's here. And then you keep scrolling and it's like, pure, it gets to pure black. And then you look at the scroll bar and you're literally like only like an inch down and the scroll bar is really thin and it goes forever. Right. And you scroll down and it's just like black, black, blah, blah. And it's like you realize like it just illustrated just the use of a scroll bar and a gradation from like blue to black and how much black you it's like I think about it all the time when I look at the ocean now. And it changed my perspective on like how big the ocean is. Right. Yeah. And that's like you could probably make a sculpture that's like that. But I don't know. It worked as like a digital, like a, just a simple window with a scroll bar yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah. Like it takes a concept that's almost too big to imagine and puts it into a perspective that we understand. Yeah. Str strangely enough, that perspective is digital. It's less cool than like a little statue or a sculpture or something like that. And I haven't thought that far about like what each thing could be. But I think it's... Um, I'm not like so romantic about it having to be like all analog because that's better right. just because that's how I grew up or whatever. I do think there are a lot of things that you'd have to argue against me for why it wouldn't be better. I think a lot of things are better analog or just like kids need to be like play building with Lego or doing things that are like, you know, um, but yeah, it doesn't have to be. Um, yeah, I actually, I've never thought about that. It's a good question about whether it would be all analog or not. Yeah. I got a couple of questions. I like this topic. Um, so one thing I think about on this line is I'm as a business, I'm so reliant on social media to tell stories, to communicate things. But I also don't like going on social media because I feel all these things we we're talking about. I feel overwhelmed. I feel oversaturated. I feel like I'm just in this like echo chamber and I'm not getting any other perspectives um, that kind of question the way I think. If there's like a post social media life or a healthier version of a social media life, like how how would we communicate our stories to one another going back to like before social? Like are we able to compete with that and tell our stories in a way that's just as impactful or do we need these phones and these apps now to be able to tell story? I mean, we obviously don't need them. I mean, if we're talking about a hypothetical where this happens, because yeah. the realistic version is it's never not going to be yeah. 
social or these things like yeah. they're they're gonna get so much more extreme that like it'll actually be harder and harder to to say no to it right now we have the luxury of being like if i don't use my phone and i don't look at my computer i can like quote unquote unplug pretty right. easily yeah i can and i like another idea i have like i want to do like a uh, a me time event that essentially is just like bringing a bunch of people into the wilderness and camping because i like camping and i told michael that like I knew the idea was something I wanted to do because I, I thought of it. I was like, if someone else does this, I'll be very jealous that they could say that that's their job, that all they do is just get away from technology and they take other people there. And I think you could easily convince tech companies to want to do that as a retreat away from stuff. And you could probably find sponsors who wouldn't need even, like they would get the thing of like, no, there's no cameras, there's no marketing material, there's nothing. You literally, you're letting people just recharge. Yeah. And that you don't fill it with a whole bunch of activities that people have to do. But it's just a chance for people to talk like this, share stories. You don't need to make a post on Instagram to tell a story. So maybe the homework was like, if you come to me time, you just come with one story. And at some point, you're going to have to tell your story. And that's it. And then you have to listen to each person's story. I'm just making that up now. I don't know what it will be. But um, I think like there's got to be room for stuff like that. Like we, uh, I'm unconvinced that all the stuff we have right now is like the best that we can do for ourselves yeah and that actually when i feel the healthiest is when i'm using these cool technology things in moderation and not using 99 percent of what my phone can do because most of it isn't helpful to me at least i don't think so mm -hmm. so it's weird that it's so hard to do something that's healthy even we're talking about like being vegan so like that's not cheap so it will live in like a better planet when there's actually affordable ways to do certain things for the planet. And I think like, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, the sad thing is like, yeah, it's only gonna get harder to unplug. Cause I, I mean, I use the illustration right now of you to turn off your phone and not look at your laptop, whatever in the future, like you could have stuff implanted in you or that's already kind of happened in some rare cases. And you won't be able to unplug as easily. It's literally like the matrix. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so we're kind of in this zone right now where we actually can, we will have a choice right now that we won't have in the near future. And it's weird to think about it like that. That is wild, especially thinking how fast it's all happened. Like when we launched our business in 2010, there wasn't even Instagram yet, you know, like yeah. we put up posters to advertise that we were opening we tweeted to whoever was on Twitter, but now, like I can't imagine marketing or telling story without Instagram or, you know, those those channels. So it's in ten years, it's moved so rapidly. Um, I just watched Cyberpunks on Netflix, and they're all like plugging in, and it's very Matrix-like. Mm -hmm. um, okay, on that line, I just want to explore this a little further, and then we can see where it goes. But with um, you know, I grew up same cultures all of us here like mixtape we made our own mixtapes and and you know we'd get lost because there wasn't google maps and like i think all of those were acts of creativity just by not having that automatically curated by us but i think another fault of it is it puts us in these boxes that we don't necessarily choose um the algorithm kind of directs division is there a way that you see um, that we can be conscious of that and kind of try to course correct so that we're not like having these separate experiences, that there is more of a shared experience? 
Uh, wait, can you ask it a different way? I don't know. Um, like I feel like this this personalization personalization of the internet is also creating different boxes, mm-hmm. whereas we might be more united than the internet's making us think that we are. Like, okay, I'll use like a very obvious example, like COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, if you watched X amount of videos, it would take you in a direction of either being left or right pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the algorithm was choosing our direction versus ourselves choosing our direction. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think... Uh... I guess like what it makes me think of is like why anyone choose any job. People often are choosing a job based on money. Right. Which is fine. Yeah. But they don't realize that like not only is it going to be how you make your money and how much money you make, but that's probably going to be who some of the people are uh, around you most of your life. Like even work, but then you become friends with some of them and start hanging out with them. They might become godparents to your kids. They might be at your wedding. They might. You're you're choosing who's gonna be around you for most of your life, and you're just gonna base that on money is or where you choose to live. Um, and so I think like a lot of this stuff is just gonna be down to what people value, like right. what they choose. And you it, right now it takes more effort to try to be unplugged or somehow have this imaginary balance. I say imaginary because it's like it's kind of this thing that's always in flux of like you don't really have a good idea how balanced you're being in terms of offline and online um and so yeah it's like hard to tell whether i'm happy with how i'm doing it i guess it's the same thing for like how you like eating plant-based it's like you have to like choose all the time you have to make choices based on that all the time right and right now i think a lot of people don't even think about the choice for like how they use technology or the internet. Um, and maybe they never will because I just use the example of they choose money, how they're gonna how much they're gonna make, and let that be dictate their friend group and everything else. Whereas like I I don't. I wouldn't. I'd I still wanna I'd be happy being super rich, but I'd rather choose everyone I hang out with all the time. Right. And so it's just like uh I guess, sadly, I think even given the choice, a lot of people are not going to choose to unplug. Mm-hmm. And and part of it, I mean, most of it, I won't blame anyone for doing that because it's going to be easier not to. Yeah. And it'll be harder to try to not do that. It's like an example is like, this is kind of throwing shade on my whole friend group, but like we use WhatsApp. Yeah. And then I heard this news like, yo, they're like tracking us all. It's like Facebook owns or whatever. This is like when they got bought. Everyone should choose this other thing. I forget what it was called, like Signal or something. I was like, yo, let's all switch. Like, it's the exact same program. They won't, like, they don't, it's like privacy or whatever. Everyone's like, nah, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so either I go and use this other app where I'm like by myself talking to nobody or I guess I'm getting tracked like everyone else. Yeah. So it's just like, it's not going to, it's, it's most people are not going to mm-hmm. do this thing. Yeah. But I think like, I think I'm interested in this line of like what I said before, like celebrities or influential people actually making it uncool to do some of these things Mm -hmm. because they actually have a lot of power. Mm -hmm. uh, And that could actually create more of like a kind of a mainstream change. Um, But it's just going to be a lot easier to have everything like integrated together and you won't be able, it's like, 
people hate Facebook. They've said they hated it for so long. But have you tried Marketplace? It's so easy to buy and sell stuff. As soon as you become a parent, it's like you're buying all your kids' stuff there. It's like <laughs> yeah. you're you're locked in, and they're smart. Like yeah. they're holding. Like you're the most A plus student for like using Facebook because of this one thing. So um, it was gonna be harder and harder to like get out of this stuff. Yeah. And I'm on all these things too. So I think I just, I want to figure out like how to like balance both things. And if I didn't really have to use social, I feel like I have to use social media for like my job now, but that's something Levi and I have been talking about. It's like, what does boom look like with no website? What does it look like if it's just a crazy email newsletter? What does it look like if only 3000 people allowed to look at it? What is like, we just came up with all these questions to be like, think through what does it look like? does it have to look like this? We don't have to follow any of those rules. Um, some of those ideas aren't better for us to survive, but they're interesting things to think about. Yeah. Hmm. Comes back to those early days of like, nobody knew what a blog was. You could just kind of make it up and do, do yeah. whatever you wanted. And now there's so much out there that you're looking like, okay, what can it look like? How, how can we reinvent it? And one of the things that everyone always says, like, oh, I, I don't know how I'd live without social media, I wouldn't know about this thing or that thing or stay connected to family and friends that we built in this dependence on it. But like, you know, I just, even as you're saying, it's like that thought of like the more sure or certain something becomes, the more creativity uh, is allowed to flourish as a result of that thing. So it's almost like, are we moving to a point where what was deemed as something that was like really creative and generative. And now it's like usurped any creative purposes. And it's just like this like mindless thing that we do scrolling and looking, is it going to breed a whole new generation of like creatives? Because they're like, I'm not participating in that. Like I'm going to, I'm going to use whatever I have. Cause I don't want to use that thing to be creative and to find this space. So maybe mm. within it, there's like, there's a, a hope filled opportunity that it'll like breed more, and new creativity outside of like the the parameters of these things that we we have become like I think too far too dependent on. Mm -hmm. And even you asking those questions like, what does it look like? What does it look like if Boom doesn't exist in this current form? That's like, wait, what? No, you can't get rid of the website. Yeah. But why not? I see certain writers kind of doing that now, where um, they're moving everything to Substack, and obviously they they've created these followings. Um, I'm I'm thinking of one writer in particular, particular, um, her name is Heather Havrilski and she has this really, her take on just an advice column is really, really awesome. I've been following her from year for years. She was on New York magazine. She built up an entire like following over these, you know, X amount of years she was there and she was like, you know what, I'm moving everything over to Substack. This is where you can get me like no website, no nothing. If you want my writing, you can find me here. And she's like simplified things for herself in a way too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's getting really popular. There's a lot of people doing it. I think it's, I mean, email is kind of like probably the last thing that people let go of. Like, I can't imagine people getting rid of their email at this point. So even if they got rid of, like, every social platform, they likely would have email. In some ways, it's probably the safest bet if you're going to try and put content somewhere. You still have to get people to open stuff, yeah. open those emails. But I think it's, yeah, it's an interesting challenge to think about, like, no one goes on websites like they did back when I started boom. So if people are already not like sitting around scrolling it the same way, it kind of becomes like a stamp of approval. So we're very aware that that's, it's like people artists want to get on there 
and they want to be able to say they got featured and, and it's like a stamp but i also am interested in the idea of like how but but how do i still get people to look at stuff and um so right now we're like making art books and photo books and people really seem to love that so we have like open calls that there is a membership on the site that helps us survive and keep going and if you don't believe in the site or you can't afford to pay it there's always an option in open calls to submit without paying so we try to make it so that there's no barrier for people even though we're trying to survive as a business but balance those things uh so those open calls are for different art books photo books working with capture photo fest right now like different opportunities and then so that's sort of like what's keeping it going but yeah like at the same time we're sitting around trying to figure out like yeah is there a way for this to operate where it looks completely different uh and i don't know the answer yet but it's like there are a lot of really interesting possibilities for what it could look like i think a lot of people are probably going to go in the opposite direction from what we might do just because i don't like the idea of like the direction that you know it seems like it's going and just being um like the tiktok model being like i just dread having to make any con i've yet to have a tiktok account where i'm like making any content but i it's just like seeing a lot of people who i thought would never do it making videos and i get why if you have a business or you're an artist and you're trying to survive you're trying to do anything to be able to have people see your content it's just like they this person shouldn't have to like sing and dance on tiktok just to like have someone look at their paintings or their photos so it's a very broken thing right now that people are resorting to because they're like i can't get any reach right now you know and i don't know so the algorithm algorithm went from like serving us to like now we serve it like you have to create something that it's going to put forward right outside of outside of what you would normally do yeah i mean and that's like uh that sort of gets into the AI thing. It's very interesting is like AI generated art now. And uh, I mean, this gets into another whole conversation, but it's very problematic on the one hand because it's these, there's several different ones that a lot of people are using uh, these AI sort of assisted art generation tools. And they have huge data sets that like, I've never given permission for it to like scrape all my photos, but they're in there or potentially in there. And if I type in like uh, photo, uh, Richmond, nighttime, whatever, it potentially could pull a photo as as mine to generate a new one. And I will not be the owner of the new thing. Uh, and, and the even more problematic thing was when some of these started was even if you're the person who types in the sentence, you don't even own that. They would say they owned it even though they're using my images to make your thing. Uh, a lot of people are understandably very upset about like that's what's happening. On the other hand, like I said before, I grew up listening to hip hop. This is sample culture. This is like totally Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique album doesn't exist without there being able to be like sam like sampling whatever they wanted. Uh, so I see both sides of it. I see the excitement of like being able to like I played around with a bunch just like making like things really, and it was scary how good it was. It was like like work that I was doing at EA like with people who were like matte painting something for like a week to be the lighting inspiration for like a skateboard game or whatever you could do something not as good as those things but the base say underpainting or whatever like in five minutes or less right oh, and I went down that rabbit hole a few weeks ago and I was like LeBron James playing Michael Jordan painted Picasso style yeah and it'd be like crazy, crazy. yeah you know, like 
and and I've already seen it happening where like me- big magazines will be like, oh, this is our AI generated cover, and they might be doing it for the novelty now, but it yeah. could in the future it could be like or the even crazier example, which I think okay, I'll give away this million dollar idea, but it's like if you want to get rich now, I mean, I'm sure a million people have already thought of this years ago, but it's like you're the AI generation tool for music where if I'm a filmmaker and I want a film score for my film that I just made and I can't afford Hans Zimmer to do the score, I literally type into this engine, Hans Zimmer, Dark Knight, bank robbery scene, and it makes me a score that sounds like that? Like, why would I pay thousands of dollars to someone when I'm an indie filmmaker and I can't, but I want to own the rights to everything? Like, it'll be a no-brainer for people to be start using these things. Mm-hmm. Even if, like, you take it, then you have another musician replay it better, you have, like, the whole thing there. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. there's so many things that are going to be really interesting over the next little bit. Um, I don't think everyone's jobs are in danger like this, like, alarmist thing. But I do think a lot of problematic things are going to happen that, like, people haven't been talking that much about. Like, if I type poor kid and it puts like a black person's image there that's like that's problematic and that's Mm -hmm. who's feeding those images into the search and Mm -hmm. then it's like humans at some point were the ones choosing to to allow the data sets to be collected so it's like there is still human choice in there um yeah there's so many layers like ai stuff but um yeah i don't know so as much as i'm like i want to get unplugged i'm still really look investigating the stuff because well just for one like i want to know about creative tools that come out and for other artists asking me like is this thing good or whatever i want to be able to tell them um and also just my own interest in it but a lot of it makes me just not want to do a lot of like a lot of it further drives me to want to be like i want to have me time out in the wilderness mm. i want me time out let's go permanently Okay, I got one last question. You guys might have a few, and then maybe we can do a couple rapid fires before we close out. Yeah. Um, rapid random Let's do fire. It. I heard there's an alien story. <laughs> okay. Yes, I'm excited. <laughs> so <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> What's crazy is, like, I never came to tell this story, yeah. but then you just randomly mentioned aliens just before we started. And then I re- remembered that, like, so a long time ago, I told this story actually at Creative Mornings a long time ago, like maybe 10 years ago. And uh, my talk was about like perception versus reality. I don't know. I just I was thinking a lot about this, and I had had several different things, random things happen to me in my life, and I was like, oh, these are all similar. So this, like years ago, Dean and I were on this youth group trip to Mexico, and uh, one of the nights, someone had a glow stick. I don't know, maybe Dean did this. I don't know who it was, but they we just thought it was funny to like crack it open and then like play with the glow stick. But then the person maybe Dean, I don't know who it was, cracked it open and all the, all the glow stick juice went everywhere. And then it, when it landed on us, it was like, it made you glow. Right. So then we started like putting it on a bunch of people and we thought it was funny. And then we're like, we should just run down the road, like a genius idea to run down like the freeway or whatever it was, this busy road. And we're kind of like, we're in Ensenada, Mexico. It's like kind of a mountainy kind of area, windy road. And several of us run down this road in like a single file line on the side of the road and we're like glowing and it's like pitch dark there's no lights no lights like it's so dark and we're coming up to this bend in the road that's like a memorial like it's like i guess like an accident happened there and there's all these flowers and this thing 
And then further in the distance, you can see like headlights are coming. And then it's like a car is like, it's a windy road. So you can kind of see the, the headlights come out and then disappear. And then, and we're going to like converge close to where this like memorial thing is. And so we're running and the car comes around this turn and it like spins out of control and smashes into the guardrail into the side of like the hill. And like a little that car is like, like swerved and like, and the car's like in the ditch. And so we're like, oh, like we're like, oh my God. And we all like run over, but we forget, like we're all like still glowing. <laughs> and so this car is like, starts to like reverse as fast as it can. This whole front of it's like cr- crunched. And the guy peels out. And before we can get there, like we're just getting kind of surrounding it almost. <laughs> the car peels out and drives, continues driving down the, the road. So like we never get to like see if the person's okay. We never get to be like, hey like we're just humans that have glow stick juice on us like (laughs) that person is like thinks there's probably aliens and there'd be no way to really convince that person that what they saw was teenagers from canada who happened to be there working at an orphanage you know crack a glow stick it was like (laughs) if we when we looked i was like oh my god there'd be no way to explain this to that person and um so i had so the thing illustrated to me like this one event that two different people interpret completely differently like that person maybe hopefully not but maybe completely believes in aliens just solely because of what we did and we know that we have a completely different understanding of the situation and then i had these at this creative morning talk i had these different examples of like uh, other ones where sort of two different things had happened and it was easy to like not get it so i don't want to tell all the stories but uh the thing that I did at the talk that I don't think I've ever revealed to anyone other than like a couple of my friends was uh, Mark Bussey, the one who was like organizing the event, he was asked me three facts about myself uh, to introduce me to the crowd. So I told him that like I was born in Japan and I moved here when I was a kid, but that wasn't true. So I like intentionally had this like <laughs> lie in the intro because my idea was that everyone who came to the talk, I wanted them to not realize that like, I guess it's been 10 years for 10 years. They lived in this reality where like I was born in Japan and it was like such a small lie where like, I didn't think anyone would bother researching or doing whatever. It was like intentionally a very small, dumb fact. Yeah. And I mean, that's an example of a game that I played at my talk where I was like, I want to turn this into a game for myself. And so I just would think every time someone brought up that talk, I would be like, oh, I really want to tell this person, but I'm not going to do it. Because it was fun for me to know that I was the only person that knew this like thing that I'd done. And like, uh, but yeah, I'm not telling people to go check out that talk. It's kind of embarrassing now, but, <laughs> but it's like, it is funny to think about how it's been like that long and... I don't know. I, it just like that's sort of like things that I think are funny. Yeah, mm. that's everyone's reality. You're an alien yeah. in Mexico, and you're from Japan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who are you, really, Jeff? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, that wasn't really about aliens, but I mean, for close that, enough for that person. It was. It was. Yeah. It was so. It's so funny when you imagine like what. Maybe that guy's like on a podcast in Ensenada, Mexico, somewhere like telling the story of like, totally. you'll never guess what happened to me. One night <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was driving, it was super late and like <laughs> these aliens were attacking me. Like, it's so wild to think, yeah, that that parallel story was the exact same event can be told in such dramatically different ways based on like. And the crazy thing is like, it could happen again or it, I mean, you could it's an orphanage it. where lots of youth groups would go help. 
and we must have got it from like a stand fairly close in the city like when the town whatever yeah so like it's not unreasonable to think like a bunch of teenagers and there's glow sticks somewhat purchasable somewhere close by they're like the same thing could happen if they're cheaply made yeah and they could crack on someone it's like i don't know i'm not saying like every alien sighting is like a group of teenagers with on them, you but, should see how many stories, yeah. like, see if you can research how many alien stories come out of that area. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? And, and if there are, you're like, oh, I know why. <laughs> yeah, Glow I think, sticks. and a lot of it too is like, I guess, in a weird way, to try to revert it, bring it full circle to the thing of like shared experiences versus we're kind of divergent. Actually, these things make the case that, like, even things I said were shared experiences, we all have like a different understanding of them. So, like, um, say you offered me like some food here and I was like, nah. And then I didn't really, uh, maybe May was like, oh, I don't think, I think Jeff's allergic to it or something. And then I heard her say it, but I never corrected her. And then everyone here leaves thinking like, oh, I'm allergic to like nachos or something. And then years later, it could come up where I'm like ordering nachos and you're like, I thought you were allergic to that. And I was like, no, I never said that. And you're like, oh, it's weird because that day we did the podcast, I'm sure you told the four of us or the three of us there that, you're allergic to them. And we would have a completely different understanding of the situation. But I just didn't feel the need to correct you on something so small. But if you think about how often that happens in one day, like you're you're actually not really living like this, like the reality you think you are. And because people all the time are like, it's not worth like telling this person this exact thing. So you have this like little untrue mm. idea or understanding of what happened mm. so not the extreme of like aliens because of this thing i saw but so-and-so has an allergy so-and-so whatever and it's like we piece together this reality of like it's not really what happened yeah um i don't know how that makes me feel about my wanting everyone to have the shared experience you know, <laughs> i think about it yeah well it kind of goes back but, to your 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 movie example of 10 shots of every single person in this room and yeah. having that randomization like it's the same movie but a different experience yeah it, yeah for sure and I think like so that's like when movies came up with like 3D and stuff I thought to me it's like not nearly as interesting as something like this yeah, yeah. like I don't know so I'm always I like new technologies but there's a lot of things that are like very low tech that I find much more interesting uh, so I'm not like someone who needs everything analog but I do think that there's so many cool creative things or interesting stories and things that have nothing to do with like the latest technology hmm. I like it I got an alien story but I'll tell it to you offline okay <laughs> it's true maybe yes. it's a lot of lot of glow stick somewhere <laughs> should, we, should we do some rapid fire I got some fun ones yeah do you guys have any other questions it. before we go to rapid fire let's jump in let's do it okay I've got I've got a few um Okay, I'll start and then we'll go around and see where we land. Okay, of these games, TV show games, what would you like to participate in the most? Squid Games? Survivor? Fear Factor? Or who's that millionaire one? Like the Who wants to be a millionaire? Who wants to be a millionaire? Ooh, wait, what was the third one? There's Survivor? Squid Games, Survivor, Fear Factor. Who wants to be a millionaire? I think Survivor. Super nice. I haven't watched it in a while, but... I think I would do. Gonna, I, I think out of all those things, I might do the best. Of it. I hate the pressure of the millionaire. Yeah, I like judging people when they get easy things <laughs> wrong, but I know that I would be one of those people out there. So, I think you'd be really good on Survivor. I, I'm like one of the 
rare people that still watches it. Really? Is it like how many seasons? Actually, this it's is... almost 50 seasons in, which is crazy. Wow. Okay, do... this is a 10. I know it's supposed to be rapid fire, but like, have you heard of this show Alone? Oh, yeah, yeah. I have. I've never watched <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, friends who were talking about that. Dude, they're filming it ago. like on Vancouver Island. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, the prize money was like 500000 but like, you had they're, to like, live. They're like dropped. With... Dude, the first episode, the guy's like, like sees bear droppings he's filming himself there's no crew and then he like moves around and there's literally later in the episode it's like bears are literally it looked like a horror movie he looks up in the tree and there's bears like looking down to him he just starts running and there's like like bears outside the tent and there's one guy the first night he's like i'm out and it's like a total psychological test because i think they don't even tell people how many people are leaving so it's just like when you won you know but you could be there for like months and you're like it's like the scariest yeah. thing I've ever and seen. And it's like, sa- like apparently savage, savage, like weather and oh, yeah. conditions. There's one that's like and... in snow and like, anyway, I wouldn't do that. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think you could do good as Survivor. Yeah. And they're, you know Survivor's what? Like the, the last version. two seasons, they, they like Canadians on now. The oh, okay. last two seasons, Canadians have won. Ooh. Really? Yeah. I don't want to do it, but I think like if I had to choose, yeah. I mean, I won't. I mean, Squid Game, you could die. Levi and I did like an online version of Squid Game thing, and we were obsessed with it because there was like, I think we told you about it, but yeah. uh, we love those kind of games. You couldn't die, but like, there was like so many psychological games that you had to play to get through, and I was like obsessed with it. Yeah, yeah. I think you'd probably survive Squid Game. <laughs> That's true. I don't know. <laughs> you guys got some? I got I got a list here. So someone else take a take a shot. Oh, uh, oh well, we had that one. What are you rabbit holing on right now? Hmm. Um. I put one. I was like looking up at these videos where people like I forget the name for these geo finding geo. I should know the name. This is a really bad story, but <laughs> these people like they play this game where like you see one spot on a map, just an image, and they can find exactly where they like they can like. Uh, there's a name. I, this is annoying that I can't find GeoFinder. I don't know what it is. So it's like it's like a contest to see like how accurate you can guess anywhere in the world. Or oh, some wow. of them are limited to a bunch of countries. But like you're literally basing it on so little information. And there's these people that are like YouTubers that are like so good at like just based on like a little snippet of like text and the way like a street sign looks and like something in the background. They'll be like, I'm in like the north of Brazil and I think I'm here. And they'll be within like. I don't know, a kilometer or something. Wow. wow. And people just like, <laughs> yeah. people just like randomly submit the images. Well, it's like, I think it's set up so that it's like, um, yeah, I don't know who's choosing them, but there are a whole bunch that like, you can, and some versions like you can, you can spin around. Some make it harder where it's like, it's just an image. Some are like, you can walk, but then you get less points the more that you look at. Ah, I see, I see. But this really pro guy is like, I'll do it based off like just a one image, not looking. And I'm like, it's a time to see how many they can get through. And they're literally like, guessing them in like i don't know 20 seconds and then it's like it was i mean i didn't go deep into this thing there's not much more to it than that but i was like oh this is wild that some people have like i guess they see it as like a way to like increase their knowledge of the world and they're just staring at images and separate from that i know that governments were using that when they'd see like war footage and stuff and they had to identify where it was happening so it's interesting that there's people that are trained on like human people like trying to analyze like ridge forms and figure out exactly where they are Something in the world. Else. And then there was a unrelated video, but same idea. I saw an artist did a piece where they had a camera over like a busy intersection in New York or something. And it was tracking like all people's faces. 
And then if you took an Instagram, like a selfie in Times Square, I think it was Times Square, it could figure out the photo that you upload and identify you and your Instagram post based on you being in this huge crowd shot of like Times Square. So like, I mean, another scare, another reason to be scared <laughs> of all this technology, but uh, yeah, it's a wild world we live in where like any photo could like essentially be posted and people would be like, I know this this and this and this person's here and it's dean unless wow. people are astral projecting i'm just gonna like maybe leave my <laughs> yeah. conscious body and yeah. go maybe there and the then i'll know that we can take vacations in the future <laughs> in <all> <laughs> that and me time <laughs> yeah seriously uh one of your you've done a number of really cool shows um some some that you've collaborated work on and some that's been yours or pieces of art that you've done um but one was small victories. And I just love that phrase. We've all heard it. We've all used it. But what does that mean to you, small victories? Uh, I think it's just like stuff that goes unnoticed. Mm. And I like the idea of like trying to elevate something to have someone look at it. And often when people take photos of things, they take photos of things that are supposed to be taken. Like it's like I go to Times Square. I take a photo of Times Square. I go to the Eiffel Tower. There's certain things where like, everyone feels like they're supposed to take a photo of it and I find it less interesting. So I'm personally just drawn to things where like it's the way someone framed something that on its own is actually nothing like a light falling on the side of a table or something or like something on the street and the way you took the photo makes it interesting. Uh, and there are things that like most, a lot of people won't notice and um, yeah, I think so. I've done a lot of variations of that same theme, like as a book, as a show, and I keep coming back to it because it's stuff that I notice when I'm walking around, and and actually, it's the type of photography that I feature or like that's on Boom now is maybe more. Um, it's changed from what earlier, and I think my taste has changed over like 14 years or something. Uh, and have a great uh, photo editor named Anna that's picking a lot of great stuff too. So I think it's over time it's changed, and but I think that there is still a sort of the same spirit and all the art and photography. Uh, yeah, I love I love that theme. That's sweet. Okay, just a couple favorites because we always chat movies and TV shows. Can you just list off the top of your head a favorite game, board game, or game, a favorite TV show and a favorite movie that you think people should check out? Or whatever is interesting uh, you right now. Yeah. So many games. Uh, I can't say this. I can't pick one favorite because there's a lot. But there's a really great game that my friend AB uh, introduced uh, our friend group to called Kokoro. Kokoro. And it's like, um, it's hard to explain. He's probably going to kill me for doing a bad job <laughs> explaining this game. But it's like, uh, there's essentially like a map with all those like intricate paths on it. And then each person you're getting like, oh, I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this, but there's like cards that get dealt out and then you have to, it's like the card will be like a straight line road or like a corner road or like a T road. And then you decide like, there's no T. I take it back. I'm already explaining wrong, but like you can choose where to place the straight or the up and down straight or the curve on your board. And you have to make these paths to collect as many of these little things. Okay. And it sounds Maybe that doesn't sound fun, but it's it's really well designed game. Okay. I've played a ton of games, 
everyone who's played it really likes this game I recommend checking it out okay Coco um, Werewolf's my still still my favorite Jeff Hamada game oh, the One Night World yeah <laughs> it was really good I love that game uh, that's also a good, that's a party game that's good completely different yeah. I recommend it doesn't uh, Kokoro mean something in Japanese too? Don't like ask it? me this question. It's embarrassing. Oh, okay. I don't know. Well, anything. you were born in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> get it straight. Um, I'll get back to you then. Let me let me Google it. Uh, <laughs> wait, what's the other two? Oh, TV, TV show. TV show. Ooh. Uh, okay. Here, like, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen Atlanta. Uh, my friend Hero is, is one of the creators like of the show. Uh, if you haven't watched Atlanta, you should watch it. It's an amazing show. It's like. I think Rolling Stone put it in like the top 10 of all time recently and I think it deserves to be there. It's an wow. amazing show. Uh, I don't want to say too much about it but Check that's it one recommendation. And a movie. Hmm. Um, what's the last good thing? I, I mean, something that was really wild was the submarine murder documentary Into the Deep. It was, I don't know, it's an offer for everybody because it's pretty dark but that's one of the most wild things I've seen. Dude, I'm writing that down. That's, yeah. Um, was it yeah. like a, a Navy submarine or something? Or It was a guy who invented it. He was building his own. And uh, I'm trying to not yeah. know way too mm-hmm. much about it, but he's trying to build a rocket and trying to build a submarine on his own. And then a reporter goes on to the submarine and then goes missing. It was a very oh, okay. famous story like a few years ago. Like this um, is a real story. Yeah, as a doc. Oh shit! It's crazy. And uh, I thought this was like a horror thriller when you. No, but it was honestly, it was honestly <laughs> it one is. of the most unsettling things I've ever seen in my entire life. Okay. Like it was like it's. <laughs> I don't know if that solves it or it makes <laughs> yeah, it like, I'm like a little freaked out. Yeah, maybe you don't want it. I don't know, but like, and other people, uh, I don't know. It depends on. Okay. You'll know in the first little bit if you're into it or not, but uh, it's wild because they're filming. Uh, they're filming for like a year just thinking they're profiling this guy because he's a mad scientist kind of person and then this mystery happens during it so it's not like a doc where they're doing reenactments and stuff it's all like footage because they've filmed with him for so long Interesting. and actually one of the people in it uh, she wanted her identity hidden so it's the first time where I've seen this where like they digitally alter her face hmm. oh no way wow. yeah. I didn't know that so you might see more of that in films, but I thought it was really interesting because at first I thought my streaming thing was like glitching or something, but from far away, like it looked, you wouldn't really notice or you just think it's like a little bit out of focus or something. But yeah, but they fully changed her voice and her face wow. when they, you don't even really know. Crazy. At first. Um, I don't know if that's the most creative thing I could have recommended, no, but it was, it was interesting. I thought you were going to say Kung Pao Enter the Fist. <laughs> All time, that's one of the best. <laughs> that's a good movie. Um, okay, you guys both have closing questions. Should we, should we do them both? Ooh. One at a time? You've got, you've got yours from the craft, and we've got ours from a little more good. Yeah, sure. I'll lead off, and then maybe why don't you, why don't you land us? Yeah. So we always ask Jeff, like, for Zach and I, the podcast is a little more good. It's what we created, we want to see in the world, knowing that like it's kind of an infinite thing that we can pursue. Um, and love to ask the people who come on, like, what does that sentiment or phrase like mean to you? A little more good. Yeah, I think I think I think I see a parallel between what your guys' sort of motto is and what I was talking about about sort of trying to remain childlike. Because uh, I've listened to obviously other episodes of your guys' show and I was thinking about what my answer would be, but I think it's kind of already what we talked about in terms of just um, not just trying to go through life like 
going up the, the set of stairs that you feel like you're supposed to and taking time to go and veer off of that and if that's helping other people and um yeah i think early early on for me when i left ea actually i left to go build houses uh in sri lanka after the tsunami and that trip kind of changed my whole perspective on uh feeling satisfied like what what success or not even success but just how to feel satisfied and i had thought up until that moment that i had to do something creative or art related or something to feel satisfied but just doing manual labor and helping people and a very like simple it was only like there for just over a month but feeling like i deserve uh you know the meal and the shower and the sleep at night just because uh i mean like it it sort of simplified it down to where I no longer had this anxiety that I couldn't find satisfaction if I didn't get the best job or most creative thing. Like I could just, as long as I could find a way to help people, then uh, that's all I needed. So I think that's um, somewhere in there. It's like the answer where I think whatever I'm doing, part of it, I think I want to be able to be like, am I still helping people? Am I doing like good things? And, and that will sort of be the gauge of whether or not it's something that I should still be doing or not. Yeah. So. Nice. <laughs> uh, curious to see if you'd answer this any differently. Um, but the question I ask on the craft is with what you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? Yeah. Um, I guess it's, I guess it's related. I think it, uh, I'll feel, I don't know if this, how this is related, but like, I'll feel weird if someone's like, oh, like he curated this like art. And even though that's so much of what I've spent time doing, which is like looking at art and like deciding to like share certain things that I find interesting, it is in many ways like, not that I'm not proud of it, but I don't want that to be my legacy. Like I, I won't be happy if like what I leave behind is just a website full of images. So maybe that's another way of saying that like when I die, I want to be known for something other than boom, even though that's been my whole life this, this whole time. So if, you know, if the site keeps going, maybe I'd start to do other things at the same time. And, um, that, yeah, I guess like the helping people or, uh, just the creative ideas part in in a general sense is more like, I don't know what they could say about it, but like that, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm super proud of the site and I'm still so excited to work on it, but there's something that about where like, I don't want it to be like, he had a cool website or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just interested in like, how can I, uh, I don't think I'm actively thinking like what's going to be on my tombstone, but I will feel like, Oh, like if all I was going to do was make a cool website, I could have just spent a year on that and then that could have you know what I mean like if I'm going to spend this long doing it I don't want it to just be like a cool website mm. so yeah maybe it has to do with like doing more good or like um, I don't know helping other people I think like why I feel I feel fortunate that I'm able to do what I love and I've found a way to like survive doing it. And if I can help other people figure out how to do that for themselves, whether that, that could be a nine to five, that could be look like something completely unrelated to what I'm doing. Um, I would love to be able to feel like that's what I did, like help other people, uh, 
I guess find the satisfaction that I found like building houses in Sri Lanka or like whatever it is for that person, I would feel more uh, fulfilled or like of all the projects we've done on the site and we've done a lot, the little drifters one that we mentioned before, building the little boats. I remember I got an email like a few months long after we weren't doing it anymore. And someone's like, hey, I work with the Peace Corps. I'm here in Armenia. I work with these kids here. And we did little drifters here. And they sent me photos of these kids making boats, like floating them in this river. And that is still the my the best, probably the best email I've got the entire 14 years I've done it. <laughs> um, and that somehow encapsulates sort of what, what I'm most proud about of the site. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's, that's something in there is i guess my answer to that like that i that i or maybe you know what i'd be completely happy if people were like that's the guy that just always makes up these annoying games while we're waiting to sit at a restaurant (laughs) (laughs) i'm known as the guy that comes up with games that's that's fine by me games master but it's cool yeah i think you i think you are known for like so much more than boom and really as a website it's been it's been the doorway for people to whether they know you or not in terms of like a personal way they've been inspired by you. I know for sure because of the email like you just described and because people turned up to the park and made boats or submitted photos of sun- sunsets or have joined an email list because they want to know more. Like to know you, Jeff, is to be inspired. And so, you know, don't wait for your tombstone. Know it now. <laughs> like it's more than just a website, my friend. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Well, I mean, thanks for having me on bo- both your shows. Yes. We nailed you. <laughs> <laughs> For everyone out there, Zach worked really hard to make this happen. I did. A, I'm not. Not. I don't know. I'm just a reluctant speaker, but I enjoyed it. It was fun. Yeah, thank yes. you, Jeff. Grateful for you. Thank now you. we don't have to corner you for uh, <laughs> for a while. Yeah. For a while, we'll give you some time to breathe and chill out. That's right. Episode That's two coming under the guise of a games night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeff in Japan. Yeah. Jeff Amato yeah. from Japan will be on the next episode. Well, always enjoy a good deep conversation with you. Yeah, it was it was a blast. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. All right, what a conversation. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it was worth it after, I mean, all the effort that you put into making it happen. I'm sorry for being so reluctant, but I, yeah, it was fun. For those Good. that don't know, this podcast is like a year, <laughs> a year of harassment. And um, I think co- two years for me. I think I years. emailed you two years ago. Yeah. yeah. But then, yeah, there was a variety of reasons at the beginning yes. why they didn't happen, but then... Zach asked me and then shout out to Michael my wife who said secretly to Zach like don't let Jeff say no yeah, I said no did. probably like yes. seven times I don't know Zach would email me probably like <laughs> yeah. he me, yo I'm emailing him at it again I was yeah. like good luck yeah yeah Thank, shout out to your wife yeah. your sweet wife yeah she told me at one of our pop-ups she's like don't stop asking Jeff to be on your podcast he will <laughs> he will say yes eventually oh, and then I was like if we trap him with May and us then you might say the yes. offer I couldn't refuse. Yeah. It was fun. No, I really enjoyed it. Anything, anything that you said that you feel like you need to you know, make, make amendments or uh, course correct? Or... Yeah, I think the geo finder that rabbit hole is really lame. But uh, also watch the rehearsal. I think that was a much better show than anything. Maybe not Atlanta. Still Atlanta than the rehearsal. Okay. 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 There we go. There Noted. Go. Show notes. Yeah. So, uh, Jeff, if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? Uh, not on any social media. I'll be in the middle of the woods. That's in the right. middle of nowhere with nothing. Lost Having time. me time. <laughs> Boom.com. Check it out. Seven O's. Seven O's. 
sure. and you guys have Instagram too for now. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Maybe by the time you check, it might be gone. Chill yeah. wildlife, chill wildlife too. Yeah, <laughs> shout out to the chillest of the wildlife. When is me time happening? I want to sign up. Uh, uh, Michael wants to make it happen soon. Okay. I don't know. It's good. I, sometimes I try to tell people an idea to make sure I do it. Yeah. Um, it's a good way to be accountable. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it's aligned with like the craft and a little more good. We could totally. all collab. Yeah. Just consider this the auto sign up. Everyone at this table <laughs> yeah, is yeah, going. Yeah. Maybe we just all, yeah. maybe we just all go and one. Yeah. It's I mean, exactly. Me time. No phones. No technology. Board games. Sound. Sound bath. But the great thing about me time is you can do it anytime you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The secret's out there. Yeah. The secret's yeah. out there. Oh. All right. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for being on both the craft yes. and a little more good. We, uh, we all appreciate you so much, man. Thank you. Thank all you right. for having me. Yeah. Boss. And thanks, everyone, for your time and your attention listening in. Be sure to check out uh, the craft and a little more good on Instagram, Spotify, like, review, all of that stuff wherever you listen to this. We appreciate it. And if you have a comment or a question for Jeff, just uh, drop it and drop it in the, the, the comment section there and we'll we'll get it to him and a year later we'll have an answer for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all and right. we'll see you soon yeah thanks everyone be good ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.